right, everyone, welcome to the TylerBloyer.com live stream, September 29th, 2019. Coming at you live from my home studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding about that's where I'm coming from. But welcome. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. It's great to be able to do these live shows and uh, broadcast to you live here from the comfort of my home office. And this morning, uh, technical difficulties a little bit there, but hey, we worked through that. We're doing it live. We're, we'll do it live. And uh, doing it live is coming in handy. It's uh, nice for me. It gets me in action to prepare beforehand for the show. And also that way, I kind of get into a flow of things and just keep uh, going. There's no pre-recorded to this. It's um, just me and my personality live here on the show. That's also kind of the name, uh, the reason for the name behind TylerBloyer.com and just doing this under my name. It's not that I don't have, you know, allegorical versions of Tyler out there running around in the world uh, posting ridiculous memes and dank memes all over the place. But, uh, you know, TylerBloyer.com just gives me the ability to act under my uh, government legal fiction slave name. <laughs> so, you know, but hey, it's a lot more real and we're trying to live in the real and be real. And uh, again, what we're going to be talking about here today is the secondary matrix and a lot of the movements and so quote-unquote freedom movements in the secondary matrix or just you know the woke the woke people or the uh, people that are outside of the mainstream uh, they they fell outside of the net the giant net of the public indoctrination system and the the legal matrix and uh, they're trying to swim out of, outside of these things and uh, of course, we all find that very difficult, as we've covered here in this show, and, and uh, for psychological reasons and economic reasons, of course. Um, and uh, let, me, let me get a thumbs up. Let me get a okay green light that everybody can hear me okay. I feel blind. So we'll, we'll be going into a lot more of the secondary matrix today, the title of the show, which is not, you know, talking about and discussing uh, what the struggle for freedom was, was sort of discussing of the overall masses and the general herd. Today we're going to be talking about the secondary herd <laughs> of cattle that have gotten outside of the fence but still find themselves uh, maybe, you know, the reason why I call it a matrix is because it's, it's a place to, uh, you're outside of the primary matrix, but really you know, you haven't exited the legal matrix. We're not out of the cage. We're still, you know, confined and uh, freedom is limited still in the secondary matrix. And those those woke folks, everybody who's so woke, uh, mainly still finds themselves in a matrix where you're still just observing, you know, depopulation, eugenics operations and the dumbing down of America and the socialist, communist uh, revolutions and the traps there and the, the things that people fall into and you know, the millions and millions of people that have died throughout the 20th century on into the 21st century through uh, programs of uh, limitation and, and a mindset of not, you know, anti-abundance um, from from minds that were much more limited uh, than what we have now. 
and the ability to think in the mindset of abundance, and we live in a truly abundant world. Um, and, but this reality is not necessarily brought into our uh, daily lives through our uh, limited mental capacities and uh, through through agendas and other things that we'll go further on into in this show. Uh, but again, thank you for joining me here today. And what I'm going to be sharing out uh, here at first is just, again, the live stream page where you can view the show. Come in to tylerbloyer.com live. And uh, there's a streaming here that wasn't working this morning. That was some of the de technical difficulties. Somehow the YouTube event didn't take off with the OBS stream. Uh, so I used a different browser today. I've been using Epic Browser because I've had some issues with Brave recently, unfortunately, uh, with CPU and stuff like that. Uh, different time, different place. We'll go into that again in a technical show that we'll be doing, but uh, to go over those types of things. Here we have the endless tunnel occurring over here on the left. It's pretty limited tunnel, so that's good. We didn't go infinite. And uh, I was having issues getting the stream going on YouTube, so I had to like refresh it. Basically, I just re-embedded the, the stream into here. It looks like it's working okay now, so that's good. And this week, I remembered to mute the tab, where last week there was some feedback coming from there. So the reason why you'd want to come in here is you can access the Discord server, because after the live presentation, I've set up a Discord server to be able to have people come on the show with their voice. They can ask a question. Um, they can also listen to the show. I have an open hot mic here into the Discord chat, and you can see my nice uh, Patrick McGowan face there is lighting up green. Uh, maybe you can see that. It's a little small. Let's go into the full screen here. And here's the Discord server. There's a live call in room. You come in unmuted. Or sorry, muted. Even though you may think that you're unmuted, you're you're not. You're muted, and I I will add you to a role which will give you the ability to speak once we're ready to take your question. And uh, the reason for the live shows is not necessarily uh, for that kind of a thing. Uh, for me, it's the format that works uh, because I'm using OBS and I have slides prepared beforehand, so I can get on, record it, do it live, and. Uh, be done with it and move on to the next episode as we move on. So as you can see, these are starting to become a weekly show. I doubt that we'll keep up with that. Uh, let's get out of this uh, tunnel mode over here. It, it's unlikely that I'll be able to keep up with the live shows weekly. But, you know, so far, if I can prepare the show by midweek and I know about that I'm going to have it ready to go by the weekend, then we'll plan to do it that weekend. And if not, we may just need... I may just need a little extra time, something comes up, you know, and I, I can always get on. I now have a pretty easy way to do live or uh, walk and talks um, to get thoughts out or an update. Um, I'm not looking to get on the wheel. I don't want to be a rat on the wheel with this work. This work is a passion. It's, it's a vocational work that I do anyways. So why not share it out and make content out of it? You know, what I'm doing here, what I'm sharing on the show, what we're about to go into here with the web brain is that I'm not doing this to get likes and uh, attention on Facebook and people to look at me. It's, it's easy to stream to Facebook, and I do it because eventually I'll be off of those platforms. You know, I'm, again, I don't want to be any kind of Pavlovian rat in a looking for the cheese in the social media realms, you know. 
I share my work on, on those areas to bring people into the website so that they can get the content and the material that I'm trying to share, which I do anyway, again, create, uh, I, I uh, accumulate, uh, index, document, uh, this type of work that I go into on these live streams and show, so why not, you know, set it up so that I can record it, create presentations, create content, add value. Uh, to the community, uh, to, to my community, to my friends and family, and to the people around me and uh, in the world and on a larger level, if it if so if so be it. It's passively there on a website that you can go to and uh, check out the work or, or not. And you don't have to, you know, care one way or the other about who, who Tyler Bloyer is or who, what I'm doing, you know. Um, but I do get into conversations a lot where this stuff's already coming up to be very useful, where I don't need to get into that debate online, I can reference someone to the material that I've already produced on that particular topic, and then there is ways to comment in my website or email me, or we can have a conversation. I have a, I have a calendar set up that I'll be sharing uh, in the next show or two where we can actually have meetings and get in discussions, and I'm willing to share my time. Uh, it's, it's limited windows, and those, lim those windows may become more limited or less limited as time goes on, but when there's availability uh, for me to be able to have a conversation with somebody I can set up a place to kind of funnel that type of activity and it's not me trying to sell anything it's not me trying to get you to buy anything that this is all just about uh, the philosophical conversation and the stream of consciousness that's happening here uh, known in the format of this uh, agent of this ma uh, ma material <laughs> this matter known as Tyler Bloyer um, and uh, that's enough of tooting my own horn. Let's get into tooting my own horn over here into this brain model that I've created. And uh, uh, initially, kind of one of the things that I started to get into research with was the Federal Reserve, as you'll kind of see if you follow the breadcrumbs back to some of the work that I used to do. And that Federal Reserve is a is very still you know important information that people need to understand and how the Federal Reserve System works. Let's go into the full screen. And uh, again, I've talked about the brain model in other presentations, and I'll put that in the show notes, um, and then we'll be going into it more here. So this is not a technical overview of the brain model. Uh, so if you're like, what in the hell is that? That's okay. This is just fancy bookmarking. And with the disclaimer that I'm not trying to prevent, uh, provide the 100% truth, factual evidence of everything in this brain model. This is my note, advanced, you know, you can look at it as like Evernote bookmarking in a visual format that gives me the ability to do something like this, where if we're talking about the Federal Reserve System, we can go in and see how that's a central bank, how they're uh, now, you know, the Bank of International Settlements is the top bank, how Benjamin Strong, you know, was a part of founding the Federal Reserve, uh, how it's a banking cartel, you know, what does that mean? What are you talking about? Banking cartels? Well, I can hop in there, and we can go into the history of banking, uh, the Cecil Rhodes round and Milner roundtable groups, um, organized crime, internationalism, uh, the robber barons, uh, the dark occult, how that would tie into something like banking and uh, globalism. You know, so this is, you can see how this is a useful tool, but again, uh, my point is not to provide some 100% model of the truth here. It's just a visual 
way to me for me to take notes and really it's for me it's a good way to document what I'm reading document what I'm researching um, so for this purpose of this talk you know the um, secondary matrix and the uh, falling into the movement traps the secondary matrix today this is the second show in a series known as falling into the movement traps the first show was the struggle for freedom last week this week we're doing uh, the secondary matrix next week we'll be on groupthink and so on and so forth into the actual movements of libertarianism anarchism and voluntarism themselves uh, then we'll go into an actual solutions uh, part of the series which we've already kind of provided some of that up front with consciously creating freedom that live stream um, but we'll definitely be going and circling back so a lot of this work again is going to feed back on itself as well and the creature of control series which I started producing in 2015 is an, an, an example of that so in the creature of control series with from within the stones media network uh, which which the site is being revamped but you can find these in my feed the creature of control podcast at least in the YouTube upload it was originally an audio long-form audio podcast and I started mapping out some of that in the brain here and these red highlighted things are the different control systems as we went into them and different human control systems um, and that spawned eventually this falling into the movement traps thing and how we end up uh, in different pitfalls of so quote-unquote freedom movements and things like that and so you can access this from tylerbloyer.com slash brain I don't really index it and advertise it as something to get into here on the right hand side as like here's my brain come check it out because again I'm not necessarily this is my really like my notes that I'm sharing with you it's like bookmarks basically like I say, these are like advanced bookmarks that you can use in a web, in a, in a web browser, put in a way that's more three dimension, you know, just it's more visual and you can use hierarchy and things like that. So if I hop into the revolutionary movements falling into the movement traps, I can then on the left put the different uh, materials that I think contribute to this and, and give people things to actually follow up on so that I'm not just coming on here live and saying listen to me listen to what I have to say about all this listen to how smart I am you know I, I can actually give somebody more to chew on than that and so if we're talking about weird scenes inside the canyon um, from Dave McGowan and that book I can put the archive.org uh, link in here I can upload the PDF download that I have and have this uh, moving forward to share with people so you can get the archive.org link out of there I, I uploaded the PDF straight to this book and we'll be going into later how I feel like that's an important work to uh, have in context of some of the things that we'll be talking about today so that being said again tylerbloyer.com slash brain for that kind of advanced hidden URL uh, go to the show, hop in the Discord. You can watch the live show, tylerbloyer.com slash live. And I appreciate everyone sticking around with me through this so far. And I've already had some questions come in about the setup here. Um, some people complimenting uh, the at least technical ability. So that's nice uh, that people uh, appreciate the aesthetic, appreciate the format. And again, I'm not like 
trying to hide anything about any of what I do. I, I'm, I, I'm trying to freely share what I think about things here in this format, including everything that I'm doing with the format. So if you have any questions about how this works and the technical side of things, feel free to reach out to me and we can have a discussion or I can share with you, you know, the information that I've come across to have this somewhat, uh, you know, limited format, but still a lot better than you used to be able to do here, sitting here by yourself in the control room. And uh, of course, if others are looking to share their work and produce and publish themselves and present themselves, which I feel everybody should be working on doing in an autonomous fashion and working on themselves in that way um, in order to have the confidence and self-esteem, self you know, to be able to put your work out there. If those are your roadblocks, if those are the things holding you back, then uh, those can be overcome. And we have solutions. I, I have a path for you to take on that. And we can talk more about that, you know, outside of a format like this. That being said, uh, one more thing we can share before getting into the sli actual slide deck today. We'll go back over here into, uh, let's say like last week's show, The Struggle for Freedom. And what I've started to do with these is archive the audio on a drive, on a cloud drive, um, because I'm limited in my back end here with the audio, uh, size of audio file I can upload because of the pricing structure and everything how I have it set up. I'm already paying for storage elsewhere online, so this basically will just link you to an audio file that you can download. That way, if you're on the go uh, looking to take these you know, to listen to while you're working at the gym or in a car and don't want the visual, uh, the audio file is there. Also, I provide all my slides to these presentations to download here in a zipped up folder. They're compressed um, in PNG format, so they're a little bit higher quality. So kind of larger files, you know, but we're getting into 2019 now, guys, and you, you got to have lots of disk, disk space, you know. You need to have a, a desktop computer with lots of storage that you can archive uh, your research on and not have the excuse of, well, your phone doesn't have enough room and this and that. It's, I understand you move things over to the phone when you want to go through it. But we need to, you know, get in back onto a more powerful format that people are like in this limited mindset of like if, it, if it's a fi 500 megabyte file that's too much and that shouldn't be the case like have a way and a work capture the workflow method of archiving information as you come across it and so this is a good way to get started with some of the tools that I'm providing here with the with the brain model um, using a desktop computer or at least a laptop you know getting off of tablets and phones I agree with this message Brought to you by TylerBloyer.com, where you will be entertained. No, I'm just kidding. You can get a good glance at my notes because I'm the uh, producer behind the scenes here, and I forget that I'm sharing my screen and pull my notes up on the screen. So that's no problem because there's nothing to hide in uh, my note taking in my notes on for the show. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for the housekeeping stuff that we needed to get out of the way. I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting. But what we can do is go ahead and hop into the slides today because we have quite a bit to cover. And uh, uh, today's show I think is going to go into the two and a half to three hour mark. 
if I've estimated properly, but it could go a lot further than that. Uh, barring interruptions from family members. Hello. Am I going to? No, I'm going to do my live show and then I'll come hang out with you, okay? Okay. Alright. <laughs> bye. Say bye, Daddy. Come on. Bye, Dan. It's okay. Like I said, that's part of doing a live show and that's part of uh, my lifestyle is that we homeschool. We include our children in what we do and we're not afraid of interruptions and that's part of doing it live is that uh, you're willing to deal with things that come up like regular life works, you know. But as you can see, if I don't overreact and I just casually handle the conversation, everything works fine. There's no problem. And uh, I didn't have to, you know, lose my temper with my with my daughter. And, of course, I love any time that she wants to come and tell me what's going on. <laughs> so that's part of doing it live, right? Again, today's show, uh, The Secondary Matrix from TylerBloyer.com. This is part two of falling into the movement traps where we're covering, you know, the issues and the pitfalls with the bowel movements or the freedom movements. Basically the same thing as we've come to discover and that freedom is the path of the individual and never any group or collective. And there's all kinds of fictions and things that human beings like to wrap themselves up in and hearing some good feedback in the chats so you know it's always nice to have somebody say hey it sounds great even if you if you disagree with me and you hate me that's okay you know I'm okay with disagreements we'll get into conversations with people as long as it's not a huge waste of time a lot of the time I don't have time to get into things like that and uh, there's ways that I've set up to go through that. Part of it is doing this live stream. So feel free to comment or question or hop in to the Discord. And in like two hours, you can have a question taken. <laughs> so it's a long format presentation. Because we need to get out of the fishbowl, to get out of the secondary matrix, we need to start paying more attention to what matters, to what's real. And we need to train, retrain our minds to get our focus back on uh, long-form information and reading books and listening to long podcasts. And people that are trying to provide information to you shouldn't be, you know, concerned about the fishbowl mentality and the five-minute clip of let me whip out my phone and just say a couple things and start a bunch of crap today in a, a dumpster fire and get some fly-by-night, you know, researchers to come and drop some shit on my post here, and I just, you know, do my live streams real quick, and get my, I mean, come on, we gotta, we gotta get our heads out of the sand, and we, if we can't listen to a two-hour podcast, and again, I'm not expecting people that have to listen to it live, um, but a lot of the material I go through requires several days to get through, you know, but you can read, you know, two, three, four, five books a week, um, easily. And when I say read, I mean that, you know, millennial reading, which is listening to books. <clears throat> but just this morning, I was talking with some friends about ways to capture the workflow while listening to an audiobook. So you can have an app that you highlight a section and bookmark that and send it to yourself, get it off the phone, 
get it back to your email, get it when you are sitting down and not listening to the audiobook. There are ways to follow up with the material, and but we are so trained nowadays to move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing, and the dopamine is not coming in fast enough, and we just have to get more and more and more and more dopamine, and we can't, you know, seem to get our our uh, asses out of this cycle. So when someone comes on and has the arrogance to stream for hours on Facebook and YouTube and get on in, on his soapbox and talk for hours and hours and hours, it's only weird and it's only, you know, seems arrogant if you're used to the five minute clips, if you're used to the 10 minute quick, let me tell you what everything is, Paul Joseph Watson, we are changed Luke Radowski style of relaying information. But it's like, bring back the study, you know? We don't need the man cave, we need the study. We need uh, the things that people used to be into, which was collecting and reading books and taking in long format. And I'm just telling you out of experience that my own personal attention spend has only been increased by uh, doing these types of things. And you eventually, the, the shorter format stuff that's meant to grab your attention and sell you something or get you off looking over here and you're, you can't stay focused all day, starts to become a lot less important once you kind of retrain your mind to be able to take in long format presentations, long format uh, books and uh, meditation or clearing your mind out of being into the silicon obsessions, you know, of the computer world, which I am very much deep into, you know, and the secondary matrix as well. But there's still things that we can know and speak and uh, learn and come to know through philosophical uh, understandings and reworkings of our worldviews and presuppositions that we can gain wisdom, which is the whole point of philosophy, to gain wisdom. Philos is the love of, and Sophie, which is wisdom, the, the goddess of wisdom. So Sophia being wisdom, and Philos being the love of it. So coming to know things, not, not nihilism, not Nietzscheanism. <laughs> so, so to counter opposite that completely, the reverse of what we're talking about here, we'll bring in Friedrich Nietzsche, who says sometimes people don't want to hear the truth because they don't want their illusions destroyed. So again, because we bring on Nietzsche, doesn't mean that I have to agree with everything about Nietzscheanism or nihilism, or I'm not a nihilist because I quoted Nietzsche. But, you know, is this true, Nietzsche? Can we come to know what you're saying here? That's the, qu the question for the nihilist, right? the person who doesn't think you can come to know things, well then, is what you're saying true, right? It's a self-refuting stance. Atheism, <laughs> atheism, nihilism, these sorts of things, solipsism, they're self-refuting. That The self-evident case is that if what you're saying is correct, how do we know what you're saying is correct? Because <laughs> if you can't know anything, or come to know certain things, why would I listen to what you have to say? Because what you're saying is that even that you yourself don't know what you're talking about. So there's a lot of presuppositions in a simple quote like this. Like, I'm obviously of the presupposition that we can come to know truth and understand certain things and relay that to other people. And I'm obviously sitting here for the same reason and doing this, not because of nihilism, but because I feel that through people's life experience, they can pass down wisdom 
through their actions and through uh, things like this, like we're doing here. So hopefully that wasn't too all over the place to get started out there. But we can see that we need to look at things from multiple sides, including the slides that I bring up on the show typically have a dualistic, if not, uh, you know, more, more than that, like a parabola or like a, you know, convex lens at all kinds of different angles of ways to look at these things that people are bringing up in their works throughout history. And people want to simplify things again, because of the fishbowl mentality, because of the goldfish attention spend. And sorry to keep using the fish metaphors. You're not fish. We're, we're trying to be sharks here, we're trying to get to be the patient uh, uh, big fish in the pond rather than the school that just follows every <laughs> so all right, we'll get out of the water here all right let's get dried off and lose the metaphor of the fish for a minute here and get into what Alan Bloom has to say which is the most successful tyranny is not one that uses force to assure uniformity but the one that removes the awareness of other possibilities that makes it seem inconceivable that other ways are viable, that removes the sense that there is an outside. Ooh, it's hard not to get back into the fish, to the water, and we can get into the water metaphor, and the fish don't know they're in the water, right? So well, what he's saying here is that, you know, and I, I Tyrannical governments understand this. Tyrannical entities that want to control you understand this point. That it's not necessarily always about controlling what information you've been given, but about taking away the other options. And so when we get into the trivium method and things like that, uh, things that have been occulted from our understanding, even the trivium itself can be used as an encyclios paideia, or an enclosed circle of information that is also limited and I think you know one of the things that we're not really going to get into today is the trivium but there's a lot of people who've come and picked up the trivium methodology in the seven liberal arts and uh, you know through logos slash Gnostic media slash peace revolution uh, this information was kind of like shot back onto the scene and then sister Miriam Joseph's book and others who um, talk about the trivium, including, uh, you know, back to like Thomas Paine or how people used to be taught was with a methodology of discerning and discovering truth, okay? And that was known as the trivium methodology. Um, but then there's the, the trivium method versus like trivium education or like the classical trivium and uh, one method being an enclosed circle of information that you can then only offer people a limited viewpoint on the world, that a limited set of information that is available to these people. And there's no reason why the trivium can't be used in this way. So those in the trivium cult and the trivium followers that are obsessed with talking about the trivium as much as they are with the non-aggression principle, and all these other words that sound really great until you really dig into it and find out that most people that are espousing the information are not doing what I'm doing here and exposing the negative side of it. That it's a limited form. If you don't have all the grammar, if you have limited grammar, 
then your logic is might be flawed and your rhetoric could be off and and if someone's out there claiming that because they have the trivium that now they have all the ways of the truth and they can always speak the truth is a naive fool who doesn't understand that it's an uh, there's a paradox that there's an unlimited amount of information available yet there's a whole lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes of information that you don't have even in today's age you are a limited finite you know in in a sense you're finite in the agent that you're inhabiting can only process so much information however you want to word what i just said in your own you know way of speaking that uh, we are limited in the amount of information that we can obtain and seek and process and actually act on especially act on in our lives and so if we're claiming that because we have the trivium that now our rhetoric is always going to be 100% perfect or close to even it's way off I mean it's a methodology and it's limited because you don't have all the grammar think about it you don't have all the grammar on the Federal Reserve System and neither do I I have pieces and parts. I have Eustace Mullins' work. I have G. Edward Griffin's work. I have the understanding of the Council on Foreign Relations and now the Bank of International Settlements and the United Nations and the League of Nations. And I have this limited story of kind of like the people before me have passed down to me through their works. But I don't have all the information. And I could even have a lot of false information. And just because I'm using the trivium, it doesn't mean that there's still not logical fallacies that can't be exposed in my own thinking or contradictions that I'm holding that I haven't thought about yet and things that need to be removed and then I know for certain about the unknown unknowns right <laughs> I keep I just need to keep that Donald Rumsfeld clip of him saying it's the no we have the known knowns we have the known unknowns but then there are the unknown unknowns and he himself being you know uh, probably a secret society brother knows about all this what I'm talking about here with this paradoxical side of, or the dualistic meanings and things and there's there's two sides to what Alan Bloom is saying here there's two sides to the trivium there's a positive aspect of it and a negative aspect of it and both can be used by ignorant people who don't understand how to look at things in this way who don't have the understanding of the occult or of dualism or symbolism you know in these things and the deeper underlying psychological meanings and presuppositions in their own philosophical worldviews so you have people that don't understand what a presupposition into their worldview is and they think that because they have the trivium that they have the power and the knowledge and the truth but they don't understand what it means to build back down to the foundational principle axiomatic things that make up what we're saying and why again like going back to seeking the truth like well that there's a presupposition in there that we can come to understand and know the truth and every person you're talking to may not think the same way and so one of the things I'll get down to quickly with people is like how do they think that existence exists do they understand logic and that logic can't be measured or seen are they a scientific materialist atheist using processes known as logic with it which are metaphysical you know and the trivium or like knowledge even epistemology things that aren't seen that you can't measure can't quantify um, but claiming at the same time that they're a materialistic atheist who only believes in science and the scientific method 
you know, even though the scientific method itself relies heavily on things like logic that can't be seen or measured. You can't go find logic in your materialistic, atheist, scientific worldview. And the processes that the scientific method re relies on are rely on logic and things like that and philosophy. And even though they would say, well, I don't want it to do that. I don't include those things. Well, just because they don't explicitly state that they don't inc include those things, what do you call it when you're using the scientific method? There's a logical process that goes along with using it. So basically, the summary of the argument here, which we're getting off into a total tangent now, <laughs> is that you can't use the scientific method to uh, prove the scientific method, basically. That the scientific method itself is limited, such as the trivium is also limited. That these are limited ways of discovering the truth and they're not the end-all be-all and there's a lot more outside of these systems that they that they even rely on themselves that the people within them using them don't even necessarily understand which will we will actually be getting into that more here so we're not totally way off on a tangent yet because we're going to circle back to the atheists <laughs> in this presentation now I like this graphic here. It's pretty simple. But while it's up on the screen, we'll just do a quick sound check. Yeah, there's my beautiful voice. So good. So we're streaming there. And let's just check this over here. See, these are the little things where a producer would be nice, right? So I'm not interrupting the flow and sequence of things. I'll assume everything's fine. Okay. I mean, it's a little weird that the audio wasn't coming in over here. Let's check this again. Okay, we're good. So, when we're in the secondary matrix, we're looking around. We're woke. We're, we're doing our wokeness. And we're looking around for what people are doing when they've reached the secondary matrix. That's what we're doing today. Where are they? Where are the people? Where are the others? Find the others, right? And you can reference that back to a few psychonauts and interesting people out there. And in the secondary matrix, we are in the secondary matrix of movements, activism, virtue signaling, and inauthentic modes of rebellion and revolution. So that's what you'll find largely in the secondary matrix is that just like any other large group of people on the planet there's a problem of groupthink and social dynamics that end up uh, creating situations where because of social influence and that's definitely simplifying things there is a dynamic of non-thinking or critic non-critical judgment of uh, exclamations that are being made, injunctions that are being put forward, arguments that are being uh, accepted by the group over time with less and less critical thinking. And within the movement traps, there's no, or you know, within the freedom movements, there's no exemption from this. There's no reason why the movement traps themselves don't have the same exact problem of uh, what happens in group dynamics. Now, I will give them the argument or give anyone the argument that, that it's less 
there's a less likely occurrence of it. There's less tendency towards this in the woke, quote unquote, woke communities. But it's still there. It's still uh, rampant, I would say. And uh, being manipulated, as we're going to be getting into here, there's the, there's the, always the dynamic of people out there that understand these things who are ma malevolent, who are seeking to do basically evil tasks, and they might not even have the empathy to understand uh, the full consequence of what they're doing, or they may not care about those consequences. There's always that dynamic, and we're, we're going to be talking about that today as well. So most people who've reached the secondary matrix end up being just another brick in the wall of creating the structure of tyranny, the structure of evil, big brother, uh, government, uh, whatever you want to call it, corporate fascism, the oligarchy, uh, the ruling class elite, the establishment. Uh, it's the establishment, man. No, it's it's the corporations, man. Don't you know, bro? It's all about the establishment, bro. Like all the boomers thought, right? And, uh, you know, even they ended up being just another brick in the wall. We'll be going into that a little bit here today. Man, I've set up a lot for what we're going to be going in here today. How long are we going to be here? <laughs> we'll see. I'm ready. I got I got my bulletproof coffee over here. I got drinks ready to go. The live stream seems to be working just fine. Plenty of information to put out, so let's get going here. We can go on forever on this slide, you know, but let's let's just move forward. Uh, again, my intention is not to be like this uh, a rat on a on a wheel with these even with the live streaming. You know, my intention is autonomy. My intention, intention is to end slavery on this planet. My intention is to help others. And uh, a lot of us, though, end up with those intentions. We know what uh, good intentions pave the way, the way to or the road to, right? It doesn't necessarily matter your intentions. And sometimes, and I can speak to this as happening to myself, that uh, we end up getting stuck on a wheel in the rat race. We may enjoy this. We may feel like we're getting a lot of good exercise here in this condition and uh, end up enjoying our little rat cage with our cheese that comes in daily and our comfortable place. Um, I know, let's see, but in the secondary matrix, a lot of people aren't like that, but still end up on the wheel because there's a lot of, traps out there right that's what we're talking about falling into the movement traps staying off the wheel so if we're seeking desiring freedom prosperity and truth we have to keep going we have to keep pushing we don't want to get stuck in a revolution we don't want to get stuck in a circular place where we end up just spinning our wheels and getting stuck worse uh, off in a lot of a lot of times we end up getting uh, in a lot worse conditions than where we started Right, so the rat might be in some kind of experiment. He may be happy for the time being in his little cage and, and getting his pellets and uh, little rewards, but ultimately, like there's some evil scientist experimenting on you, right? <laughs> it's like we can we can take this analogy outward to the prison plantation here, known as uh, this continent that we're located on, is largely an open air prison. You know where we're being experimented on we don't have legal protections that we think we do the, the rights that people think they have they don't or they don't understand how to properly protect those they, they, they think the Constitution protects them when it doesn't 
and uh, they are the rats in the cage being experimented on. So George Semmel says, the deepest problems of modern life derive from the claim of the individual to preserve the autonomy and individuality of his existence in the face of overwhelming social forces of historical heritage, of external control, and of the technique of life. So again, we may want our autonomy. We may want to struggle against uh, the overwhelming social forces, right? That uh, are always pushing us down like a balloon in water trying to like hold you down underneath the water. And uh, the individual trying to preserve their autonomy will always try to pop out of that water and float to the top uh, naturally as you would when not being held down. But it's like swimming upstream and especially sort of in this modern day where social forces can become so overwhelming uh, even through your own, you know, what, what I guess a Jungian unconscience uh, that you're not necessarily bringing to the forefront of your mind and dealing with, but uh, feeling so much uh, pressure from all the, the different angles that society, that civilization imposes on us from birth, you know, from get, from day one, uh, making it harder and harder for someone to actually autonomize and become an individual, become who they truly are, which is an infinite potential of different things. And we are infinite in, in many aspects of, of the way that we are being here in this realm. Um, and, and one of those things is in our potential to individuate and become unique among others, unique among the crowd. But unfortunately, there's aspects of our psychology that also want to fit in and feel liked and needed and to be a part of something, you know, and um, that can end up becoming detrimental uh, to the process of individuating. So when we get into crowds and movements and banner waivers and uh, the masses, a lot of the time it ends up looking like this, right, where you have banner waivers torch holders and lynch mobs that are really no different uh, than modern protesters. But it's just that people now don't really realize that they're doing the same thing. You know, or they do, and this is what they're into, is like getting out there and exerting all this energy with all these other people and getting into kind of a fervor of unthinking. And our country or our, you know, in the United States or anywhere else in the Western world, including Australia, <laughs> is not exempt from this issue, again, of becoming like these people. And you eventually, you know, causing a massive amount of harm to others or uh, ended up wasting just a lot of time and energy on things that aren't really true or don't really matter or aren't part of what is actually going to affect things in your life directly, aren't part of your reaching and attaining the things that you're trying to do for yourself and your life and your family. You know, but it feels like you've exerted a lot of energy in a particular direction. And it, it seems like things are getting done. But as we can see clearly from movements like Occupy Wall Street, uh, like the 9-11 Truth Movement, like, you know, the We Are Change or uh, these modern sort of uprisings, um... Antifa or whatever, like the anarcho-communist thing uh, is happening, are filled with ignorant morons that don't understand the issues that they're trying to 
resolve and aren't going to ever be truly effective in resolving anything with those issues because of the things that we're talking about here today and because of what we'll be talking about next week. Uh, the whole episode is going to be for groupthink and talking about this more in depth, you know. So maybe we'll save some of the more interesting narrative in for that. But if we're honest with ourselves, these this Occupy Wall Street, did it stop the 2008 thing from happening? Did it... Did any of the bankers go down and go to jail? I and mean, we could argue, you know, in Iceland, there were some things that happened. And, you know, maybe the system on impending collapse or what I would say is already collapsing. The unsustainable system that has collapsed since its creation because it's never been about sustainability and uh, prosperity for humanity. And it's always been about control and keeping humanity in check and keeping others down while benefiting uh, very few, but the people here didn't understand uh, that at all, and they purely thought that it's a Wall Street issue, at least the large majority of them, um, and kind of having this thing where they think like it, there's some line in between corporations and governments, which, you know, I'll keep arguing that it's not like there's this separate thing. It's an oligarchical thing where they're, it's like fascism, you know. The United States is a fascist example of corporate fascism where the corporations are the government. In fact, our government is structured as a corporations. And when I say our government, I'm speaking from my mind-controlled, indoctrinated mind that shouldn't speak sometimes. Because <laughs> he says things like we, when I don't mean to include myself in the federal plantation of the district, the District of Columbia, who is a foreign entity who's infiltrated what was, you know, uh, private states and uh, the actual United States of America is a federal corporation, which is really just a pirate organization of thieves and criminals who've uh, used legalese and uh, different methods to infiltrate and take over uh, what was something else at that time. Still some sort of mob-like slave plantation, though, because here on this planet, you're going to have mobs again and you're going to have groupthink and the individual is always going to be struggling upstream against that pressure and so we can have times where it's easier to swim upstream and there's periods of time where it's easier to wade into that water i would say now is not one of those times <laughs> i would say now it may have been that way 10 years ago or so or pre 9-11 even kind of like these cycles where it is easier to wade into the water and talk about these kind of things um, here where I'm kind of like reinventing my show or my rhetoric or my, you know, presentation online is like one of the worst times probably to do it, right? Like pre-election in the United States, like everything's super divisive, like mass massive censorship going on with all kinds of things. Um, and so to be someone like myself, just kind of like trying to get the work out there, speak my mind, and it's definitely like counter opinion to what's like most people accept and think out there. It's just like putting your head up there to get chopped off. And like I understood that from the beginning. And my intention is not to get out here and like change everybody's mind about everything and get out here and do these live shows to like wake up the masses. There, there's a lot more to it on what I'm doing. I don't want to go into a tangent here about like my purpose in life and what I'm doing here. But it, it doesn't have anything to do with thinking that somehow we're all going to become woke and we're reaching this point of, of evolution where humanity is going to explode into this thing. You know, 
a lot of really what I'm trying to do is just maintain pockets of freedom in people's minds and uh, where it all starts and uh, then move out from there into the physical reality where we can hopefully still maintain and operate in a certain amount of freedom that we've been uh, living in now and then create more you know for the people that really want it but the masses are not going to come around to that and even in the secondary matrix as we're talking about today we have this same problem where yeah you are the 99% of the ignorant horde of ignorant masses who are being poisoned indoctrinated owned like chattel slaves who uh, live in a debt-based legal matrix system that they don't understand and they don't understand the nature of their citizenship they don't understand the nature of the economic system. They don't understand the nature of their own psychology. They don't understand the nature of evil, uh, psychopathy, eugenics, social Darwinism. is just completely outside of the purview of the ignorant masses. And they are the 99%. They nailed that part of it. They nailed it when they took that sign. And it's like the universe's trick to like... You wear the label that makes you look most foolish, like the like the hashtag Me Too. Um, well, in in programming, that symbol is called a pound, so it's pound Me Too. It's like always like this dualistic thing happening. When you start to see that, the world really opens itself up, and you can start to all you know see a lot of different things that you hadn't seen before. Or you can join a group and be in a cult-like mentality and be like Vernon Howard says here. Uh, with the false path that must be tensely and angrily defended by those it has deceived. So you'll always see that even in like, you know, recently what I've experienced with voluntarists is that anybody trying to bring up some kind of contradiction within the logic that's like open and obvious out there for everyone to see, I do that and I'll get immediately attacked like in this like vicious way to the point where I'm booted out and blocked for saying something like the nature of government and citizenship is that it is voluntary and voluntarists just don't understand how law and citizenship actually works and when I'm saying law I'm including man's law, natural law, civil law, common law, maritime law all the different laws that we don't understand how they work but want to claim these political activist movements like voluntarism that make zero sense in the legal matrix that you exist in because they're counter opposite to what you're saying that you want and the judge or anybody who's claiming the jurisdiction over a voluntarist has you where they want you because that's what citizenship is it's a voluntary thing right and so we can, can just ignore that completely and keep moving through the contradictions and wearing our voluntarist labels or we remove them as bad logic, bad philosophical understandings of how things actually work and move forward. Which is what we're trying to get people to do here, you know, but like Vernon Howard is saying, it's not going to happen because he's recognized that the masses will always attack the outsider who comes in and tries to question anything even if it doesn't make any sense right and the secondary matrix the point i i love the secondary matrix i'm here with you let me fix this chair it keeps like sagging down on me <laughs> i'm here with you in the secondary matrix we're here together i'm no different or better than you because i recognize that i myself am also in the secondary matrix with you here because i do certain things that maintain that legal fiction and I would never claim to be awake and I know 
I joke around quite a bit about the woke and the people being awake, but I myself am not claiming even that because I understand, you know, the amount of ignorance that has brought me to the position that I'm in and take responsibility for it, trying to learn the way out of it. But really all I'm doing is studying the other side while being full aware of the conditions of where I'm actually at in life. I'm not trying to be a messiah or come up here and say how much better than I am of everybody because some legal understanding that I have of the situation. I'm still in the same boat as everybody else. There's just different perceptions of the boat and how people want to deal with it. Including here in the 60s and 70s revolutions and movements, uh, the peace, love, you know, drop out, man, just screw the establishment, bro. And meanwhile, they were just like blindsided by the intelligence apparatus and by people that know how to drive these things, people that know how to steer a movement of people that are openly claiming that they're going to be ignorant of the world and how it actually works, and that's how things are going to work, and destroy families and basically communism uh, with, a, with a flowery disguise. And right now, I'm just starting to piss all the boomers off, right? Anyone that bought in and still buys into this propaganda that is largely propaganda. I'm not saying that peace and love are propaganda, but we have to understand, and we're going to, because we have to understand, there's a, and a lot in the show notes and a lot we're going to be discussing here moving forward that is providing some grammar on this, that I'm not just, it's Tyler that doesn't like boomers and he just has a problem with, like, hippies and drugs, so now he's going to go out and do a tangent on this, like... No, you don't understand MKUltra, you don't understand Operation Paperclip, if this is your mindset that you're going to uh, really stoop to the level of defending, saying that there wasn't any manipulation into the uh, peace, love, revolu revolutions of the 60s and 70s. When there absolutely was, and we're going to be providing some of the grammar on that, and to, to give you like the quick short version, we can talk about Timothy Leary, who was like the king of this movement, right? Well, he was an agent for the CIA and working with the CIA because the CIA isn't out there protecting us from bad guys. What they're doing is what uh, social degra degradation, degradating the society through psychological and uh, social engineering warfare, essentially, and propaganda. And this is in their own writings and their own papers and their own mouths and the top insiders coming out and talking about it, which we're going to also go into a little bit today. And so it's not my opinion that countercultural movements have large uh, influences from the powers that shouldn't be, which is now through intelligence apparatus, which they own and control. You know, like when we were talking about in the brain model, the banking cartel, the Federal Reserve model, the old school, like 1.0 version of all this globalism um, stuff. Uh, those same people own and control intelligence apparatuses, and they're full of black hat and uh, subversive um, uh, individuals who are looking to subvert and control things that threaten their way of life, their way of seeing the world, their kind of authoritarianism worldview is threatened by movements like this, so they get in front of the parade and act like they're leading the parade and drive everybody off a cliff that doesn't go anywhere. And here we have a full admission from Timothy Leary on what I just said that we're going to go into streaming live here on the show. Hopefully this comes across okay. If not, I have a backup plan. Millions of dollars would be spent on LSD research at universities throughout the country. 
and word would begin to spread on campus about this so-called mind-blowing drug. And suddenly, there was the counterculture of the 60s. I give the CIA a total credit for sponsoring and initiating the entire consciousness movement, counterculture events of the 1960s. Dr. Timothy Leary, the 1960s Johnny Appleseed of LSD. The CIA funded and supported and uh, encouraged hundreds of young psychiatrists to experiment with this drug. The fallout from that was that the young psychologists began taking it themselves, discovering that it was an intelligence-enhancing, consciousness-raising experience. I know that some of the studies in which the CIA had uh, supported used as subjects people who later became strong proselytizers of LSD. So in, a, in that sense, yes, I think it that did sustain the, uh, the uh, perpetuation of, of, the, of the use of the drug. And it's rather ironic, isn't it? Okay, so, you know, that's not meant to be like, here's where you learn it, and this is what you need to know, right? Like, we're not trying to say that that was the end-all, be-all of my explanation for what I was talking about. That's absolutely not the case. And uh, that was just a limited glimpse at some of the information available on, on kind of backing up what I'm talking about, as well as some other things that we're going to be going into. So, uh, to move forward with uh, that is jumping around a little, but now we're talking about, again, the fake awake, and I found this a couple days before jumping on the stream here, this sort of funny meme, right? <laughs> Take a look at that. Where it says, you know, this guy, the old school esoteric researcher versus this, like, millennial, like, new age love and light, like, it's the same thing, like, as the 60s and 70s revolution, the fact that it was planned and thwarted and completely controlled by MKUltra. You should go watch uh, The Minds of Men. I'll put that in the show notes as well from Aaron, Aaron and Melissa Dykes, Truth Stream Media, for more information on that. But it's the same thing with the New Age movement. The, the dark occult, the Satanists, the, the psychopaths, the oligarchy saw you know the ending of their kind of counter-revolutionary movements of the 60s and 70s and forethought enough to get out ahead of the New Age uh, movement. And a lot of the New Agey stuff is just as falling into the movement trap, detrimental, uh, nowhere paths, as the stuff that we were talking about in, in the 60s and 70s revolution, right? Or Occupy Wall Street, or these things that end up being filled with ignorant hordes of people that don't know how to think critically and end up, you know, being controlled from the top-down central fashion of the fascist overlords uh, coming down through the form of, you know, alphabet letter agencies, not just simply the CIA, but uh, for the purposes of simplifying, simplifying things, you know, we can also talk about the same aspect of that with social media. We can talk about, you know, and so I jumped out of the new age thing there again, like I do have to kind of move through these slides, so... I can't spend 20 minutes ranting on each slide or this will turn out into like a six-hour presentation. <laughs> but those same agencies that I'm discussing, the CIA, uh, through a form of venture capitalism known as InQtel, or like their front firms, funded and brought social media into the fore because of their understanding and what the internet really is, is a militarized apparatus. And so, same with all the social media and all that. 
these are all like military experiments that went social and uh, it's funny you know they will call it social media because that's exactly what it is this is their form of creating another Pavlov's situation and, and more of the Skinner box uh, social engineering it's just the new technological way of doing it and they understand the dopamine and the addiction and the way that this screws up your mind to not be able to sit here and listen to somebody like me talk for a couple hours not that I'm expecting people to give me their time and attention on a Sunday morning but to be able to have a methodology for bookmarking something going back to it later reading books that take several weeks to get through listening to that same book after you've read it or before two or three times so you can get the full context taking notes capturing that workflow instead of just assuming that it's all on your Facebook feed or that it's all in your news feed and then the egotistical side of this you know of look at this fake mask like this girl's wearing on this picture right like this whole kind of like covering up of what you really are where I'm just here talking like openly about what I talk about on a daily basis to people this is the stuff I like to talk about this is the stuff that people uh, hear when they're around me and anyone who spent time with me in the last five to ten years knows that that this is not outside of the, what Tyler likes to talk about you know go spend an hour with me and what this is what we're gonna talk about the stuff that I'm talking about here and now so I'm not outside of what I am here in this live stream. I'm presenting to you what I am now and and what you know I am like without any mask without any fakeness to it as much as I can uh, at this time just giving you my open and honest opinion about things and so uh, if we don't understand some of the the things about social media I mean I we can use tools for good that are have been created for evil uh, in a way but we have to be very careful and so Facebook for me isn't a place to go spend my time and get my information it's a place to share the information of what I'm working on that's it I have other formats set up to share with my family pictures of my children, pictures of what I'm doing, pictures of my personal life. I have a private place set up already for that where my family can see that. It's not on Discord. It's not on Facebook. It's not on Twitter. I have ways of providing things like that in a modern way that don't end up participating in the matrix, in the primary matrix, you know, in ways that we could easily just not and opt out of. And what we see is that there's like the keyboard warriors, right? And the people who are taking, now we're talking about the secondary matrix people who are using this stuff to do their activism. And this is their form of activism, is the, the memes and the, the stuff that they share online, and that's all there is to it, and that's all they do is share uh, stuff online. And if their Facebook account gets banned, then that's the end of their activism, and, and they don't anymore have a voice, and they're so concerned that this is the people you see freak out about the getting censored is because that they're not actually living what they're saying in real life. Like, I'm actually living the things that I talk about here on the show, gone through a lot of this stuff with real-world experience, come back to relay it to you through a format that comes out on social media or is shared on social media by myself. But it doesn't mean that I'm here and this is the only place that I have to do that. Like I said, I'm going to turn around. If I go have a conversation with somebody about anything after this, it's going to be things about freedom, things, things about psychology, things about my show, things about that I discuss here. And it's not that I can't have fun and joke around too and have a good time. It's not what I'm saying. Like I'm militant and I go around like bothering people about stuff. Is there's a tactic and a way of doing it in live conversation that's a lot different than what I'm doing here, which is just more of like this like 
lecture style presentation like webinar thing you know um, I'm not like taking the mic and just talking 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 when I'm around people that, that don't get it wrong that's not what I'm saying there's a conversational aspect there's a let me there is a nonviolent communication way of getting this information across although I'm very weary and don't like using the word nonviolent communication I'm surprised it even made its way out just now out of my mouth <laughs> because that's one of those things that people don't understand um, when they're and they'll, they'll immediately hear it and it falls right in line with libertarianism voluntarism non-aggression principle and nonviolent communication and they just immediately start talking about it without having any understanding really of the history of nonviolent communication and things like that and that's definitely a big problem with the secondary matrix and that's where we see stuff like this like the flat earth right or everything's aliens or everything's coming to get me or everything's the Illuminati right now I am extremely opposed to the flat earth people I think it's a psyop I think it's a militarized psyop against people who do actual legitimate research but that doesn't mean that I'm like against all conspiracy either I'm not attacking conspiracy theorists with the slide I'm just saying that you, when you're like all over the place with buying into this stuff and you're talking about the flat earth and your tinfoil hat and the Illuminati is everywhere and the aliens did everything like that's not what we're talking about either when I'm talking about getting into conversations with people you know and again to make it very clear I'm not a flat earther I do not believe or think flat earth is any kind of a thing that makes any fucking sense at all and just because I talk about vaccines or geoengineering, SAI, stratospheric aerosol injection, or eugenics are things that are actually happening in the world, does not lump me in with the tinfoil hat people or with the flat earth people, okay? That's your childish way of looking at the world. That's your way of compartmentalizing what's happening around you into any, anybody that says anything outside of the mainstream is uh is one of these th guys he's totally crazy right because i didn't hear this on my espn when watching my games or playing my video games in world of warcraft when i was having a raid they didn't come in and actually discuss this kind of stuff because i have a fishbowl mentality and i have to be constantly entertained all day with bullshit and i'm just so sucked into this thing that i was expecting that a, a, a flat a flat earth banner would come across and tell me what i need to think about this stuff otherwise i'm just going to lump it all over as crazy so if somebody's talking about the Federal Reserve or vaccines or eugenics or the Council on Foreign Relations or Carol Quigley's work, Tragedy and Hope, or the Skull and Bones and uh, other secret societies or the Rose Cross or uh, the Club of Rome or the Milner Mount Roundtable groups or Cecil Rhodes Empire, or the British Anglo-American establishment, if they're actually talking about facts and things that I can go read about myself, that's all just conspiracy. That's all just over here. So there's two sides to this. Again, I'm picking on the people that espouse this kind of shit constantly on the screen and make all of us look bad. Anyone who's talking about things that are outside of the mainstream. But then the other guy on the other side in the primary matrix who takes and assumes that anyone questioning anything is lumped in with this stuff. And don't get it twisted. I think that, you know, that dollar bill can be studied and you can understand a lot about that symbol I'm just using that as a visual reference that people understand right to kinda of get the point across but I'm not saying you shouldn't research like Atlantis or uh, you know the Sumerian tablets or maybe uh, different ways to interpret interpret Genesis or alien visitation I'm not saying don't study those things 
I'm not saying don't study HARP and electromagnetic interference and 5G and health effects of things and maybe end up putting tinfoil over your phone as a test to see if that makes you feel better and more comfortable in your environment, right? So I'm not falling and jumping into either side of, of some of these things. They do need to be looked into. But for me to say that I, when I'm talking with the public about things, this is not, you know, the stuff that I'm talking about. I'm talking about consciousness, about morality, about moral relativism, about, you know, interesting things that come up in conversation and we go with the flow like we did when my daughter walked in here when I started the stream and I was having technical difficulties. We're going with the flow, but we're incorporating our understanding into our daily life activities and not just online matrix warriors not being effective on their social media platforms trying to get across the message, right? Um, for me, it's producing long-form content. That's how I'm going to get across my voice, what I feel like needs to be said. What I personally want to say is going to be put out across in this format in a way that's very non-intrusive and you can click it or not. You can come and visit the website and watch what I'm saying or not, right? I'm not out picketing or being a keyboard warrior fighting with everybody online, right? That is fake and inauthentic like we have here in this slide where the guy says, imagine they delete your Facebook or Instagram and boom, you're not an activist anymore. Oh. What happened? I got censored and suddenly I'm not an activist. I'm not doing anything to help anybody anymore. Get the message out. Like if that's the problem, then you're starting in the wrong realm of where you're trying to put your work out or what you're trying to do. You need to live what you're saying first. I mean, the fact that that should have to be said is sad, but it's true. Like we need to be first enact and embody and empower ourselves to act in the real world in our own lives before we're posting anything on Facebook or Instagram. Those shouldn't be the primary outlets of where our work is. The work is internal, first of all, and has nothing to do with going outside of yourself to do the work. The work that you're doing out in the world should reflect what's happening internally. And I, got to, I hate to break it to you, but Facebook and Instagram and those things aren't internal. They're not real. And they're, they're not reality. They don't exist in nature. They're fictions of man. They're the rat on the wheel that we were talking about earlier. But we have different types of activists who take things out into the real world. Um, but they're more like a cult. And here we're talking about anarcho-communists specifically, but all anarchists can fit into this box. And so just about to offend anybody that thought this stream was only going to focus on one group of people in the secondary matrix, like, no, we're going to talk about all the groups that we can and that I've included in the secondary matrix here. Again, I've probably left things out, but life is long and this work is not complete. We'll have a lot more work to do and things. So if I left something out, it's not a big deal to me. I do as much as I can to fit into a great presentation. And, but if I've left things out, that's just future work that I haven't produced yet, right? And the best work that I have to produce has yet to be produced, is how I look at it. I picked that up from other mentors. Um, but the anarchist is a cult because they're non-thinking, because they are nihilists, essentially. And all the anarchists will freak out. And this is, I'm talking about left-wing and right-wing anarchists. 
The, the true definition, which I fully understand the etymo etymological, literal meaning of no masters, is a pointless, self-refuting, ridiculous stance to take, because what it means is that there is nothing. Nihilism. It means no master at home. No masters doesn't just mean externally. So remember when I said we'll be talking about everything in a very dualistic manner today. Anarchy isn't just no masters outside. The original philosophical viewpoint and understanding of what this concept was trying to get across was nothingness, was like Nietzscheanism, nihilism. And you can argue against that, but that's historically, this philosophical viewpoint has been that way. So it's not under natural law. It's not under any law. That's the point. It's completely lawless. Lawlessness has no natural law. So you can't say under natural law. That's just you, whoever you are, and I know specific names I could call out who've propagated this message, tacking that on there. You're just tacking that on to nothingness and saying that it's under natural law. But it's not, and it's not in the definition or the etymology or the colloquial or any kind of interpretation of it. Anywhere that you can look up in any dictionary or law book has nothing to do with natural law. It has to do with no law whatsoever. So no rules, exactly what it means. And everybody who buys into it and doesn't agree with that and thinks that it's something else is incorrect and mistaken and standing in contradiction and in a cult. Because you're not willing to question the presuppositional worldview that you've taken. And you're not willing to question basic things in that called presuppositions. The primary axiomatic fundamental building blocks of the worldview can't be questioned. Well, that's a cult. That's called dogma and a religion and something that can't be questioned or brought up or talked about. You're in a cult. Get over it. That's just what it is. I don't care how strongly you feel about it. It's the, and it's the exact same thing with the left side of it, like I said. But the right side of it, the one who thinks that it's a more economic problem and that it's something that we need to fix in the economy is the anarcho-capitalist, right? And what I see this as really is just the one who tries to monetize freedom. The, the anarcho-capitalist is essentially someone who thinks that the problems in the world are all strictly economic and a matter of markets. And if the market were just free, it's basically the happiness principle restated. So it's basically Satanism in a different format with a different look and feel that's really no different than Satanism. And we're going to have an upcoming episode on this, and it might be in the format of falling into the movement traps or it'll just be like an extracurricular activity you know we're definitely going to rip into the libertarians and anarcho-capitalists and all that in future uh, episodes in this work that are already outlined but we're going to probably dedicate a whole thing to the similarities between anarcho-capitalism libertarianism and satanism so that's going to be interesting because the philosophical viewpoints are no different. The fundamental axioms are no different. And the, the anarcho-capitalists will just claim to be all these moral, moral superiority, m moral superiority over 
others because of this. They want everything to be free. They think everything should be unregulated. And I'm not opposed to that necessarily. I'm not saying that things. Sh I'm not saying like things should be regulated. I'm just saying that's not enough. That you've not got enough ammo to take into the battle. You're going to get shot down with that because it doesn't hold any weight. It's not a good starting point to say that that's simply the, it's a free market problem. Everything just needs to be free markets. There's so many things that could happen in a free market that are opposed to freedom, that are opposed to morality, that are opposed to uh, families, to um, people's sanity, to uh, positive influence. There's the, like I gave the example before, in an anarcho-capitalist voluntarist society, someone could say, well, I voluntarily want to be a junkie and I spread that and a bunch of other people become junkies. Well, it's all voluntary because everybody's doing it under their own volition, under their own free will, the completely voluntary free market exchange. No one's regulating. That's not going to lead to more freedom in that society. I'm sorry to tell you. I'm sorry to tell you that just chasing the happiness principle doesn't necessarily lead to a positive outcome for you and other people in your life or the world. And that's what we're going to get. And that's why this is very important to understand that freedom to do whatever you want, it doesn't mean freedom and prosperity and happiness, quote unquote, in your own life moving forward that's sustainable and it's going to last moving forward. So it's like, again, the non-aggression principle is like basic stuff that should just be gotten. We understand, like, I wish everybody else understood this, but it's just a starting point. It's not enough. It's not uh, the encompassing philosophy of freedom has to have more weight than that. It has to have a better fundamental axiom. It has to have a better starting point than just it's freedom to do whatever you want. And that's what it's going to bring about the most free. It's not true. Responsibility to freedom is what's going to bring about the most freedom. And, and nobody will ever tell you that in these anarcho-capitalist uh, communities. They're always trying to capitalize on their audience, if you'll notice. And that's why I put the sales guy in the front left or the guy in the bottom right who kind of looks like a somebody that I wouldn't trust to do business with. But that's what you'll find is that the, really the anarcho-capitalist is trying to monetize freedom for themselves. And oftentimes you'll find that they're not trying to share that method with you. They're trying to make you the customer. And, I'm, and if you just use your eyes and look around, you'll see this. And especially in the anarcho-capitalist community, because they see everything through the economic lens. They see the, the spiritual war here that we're in as an economic problem, as an in-the-fed problem. Right? And they're the, the Ron Paul people that end up using the ring of power for evil are trying to do good with it. You know, that's what ends up happening. You end up using the apparatus that you're opposed to to try to do good. That always turns out bad. Like the top anarcho-capitalists out there right now that are the most popular on social media are on the social media platforms that they themselves say should not be used and should be not centralized and blah, blah, blah. But there's all the products they sell are on that platform. So they think that they can use evil for their message and that that works out and that somehow in nature, natural law allows you to do evil actions and somehow create good. No, no, no. That is not at all how it works. But you'll, the, the reason why you'll see anarcho-capitalists continuously doing that behavior is because it's baseless, doesn't have the proper moral pinning and moral understanding and uh, philosophy. It doesn't have a sound holistic philosophy. It's based in happiness. It's based in the happiness principle. Me, 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 freedom. Me, 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 freedom mentality, which is Satanism. The modern Satanism 
that is not some kind of Christian deity known as Satan. It's selfishness. It's me, me, me. Give me what I need and I want. It's my freedom. That's what they are, the my freedom movements. That's the same philosophical viewpoint and workings and underpinnings as Satanism. So modern libertarians, and uh, they're Marxists, basically, because Marx knew, Karl Marx knew that free markets would bring in communism and socialism because it destroys nation states. And I'm not pro-nation states because I'm pointing this out, but Karl Marx, right, the, mo the evil genius communist, knew and understood that things like anarcho-capitalism and libertarianism and, uh, you know, free markets are what would ultimately allow communism and world government to take hold because it breaks down the barriers, because it breaks down the morality. It degrades the society to a point where, what do you see now? What do you see out there? The rise of the socialist, the rise of communism, right in front of your face. And it's hidden in all this flowered language, but it's definitely there. Well, and I pulled up the next slide. Sometimes to me, like, I don't remember exactly what slide is coming next. I understand I could do some things in OBS to, like, make it in studio mode. But sometimes it's fun to have a surprise on what's next. But I figured I better take a sip of my water before getting into this one. <laughs> Because, as I talked about and alluded to in the beginning, uh, scientific atheism, which is another big movement trap, secondary matrix, and I would say not even really fully in the secondary matrix because they're so off on some other path that's so self-refuting that it makes no sense. And so this, the scientific atheist... Even like the flying spaghetti monster is a perfect example. Okay, so they're, they're, what they're doing is they're taking something that's been anthropomorphized, that's been allegorized, it's been mythologized, known as the Bible, right? The Bible, which is actually a law book, which is actually a book on common law, which is allegorized, and it's all in there in the in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's all about law, and that's what it's actually about. And I'm not saying that because it's allegorized, occulted, and ancient that it's true, right? I'm not saying that either. I'm also not saying that, that so the Bible is 100% true because of what I'm about to say. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying that the mistake that's being made here is similar to saying and discovering when Santa Claus is fake, like as a child, that like the rest of your life you become an anti-Santa Clausist. Like you've become someone who opposes... Uh, Santa Claus, right? After the point when you discover that Santa Claus is not real. And your label actually includes calling yourself like the atheist, right? Well, first of all, what they're doing is they're mistaking like actual Christianity, true, real Christianity as something like a man in the sky and his only born son that came here through a virgin and that they, that Christianity is meant to actually like literally interpret these things when it's absolutely not that is not what the bible is meant to be read as it's an allegory it's a fiction it's fiction it's in the fiction section it's a mystery book with uh, mystery schools and egyptian wisdom and all kinds of sumerian 
variations of stories from ancient Egypt and the ancient Kim and alchemy and hermeticism and astrology and numerology and Kabbalah. It's all there. And it's all uh, being weaven, wove through a story of Jesus Christ, who is the word of God, who is the, the son of God, is logos, is law, is natural law in motion, basically. It's, it's natural law in action in our lives, in the world. And Jesus is allegorized through this. So that's where the lessons of the Bible are gained and how it, uh, the answers to actually getting outside of the legal matrix can be gained through understanding the Bible in this way. That's why it's important. So it's an important work to look at through this way that they're, what they're telling you is like all the ancient wisdom combined in one book of how not to fall into a legal matrix trap, how not to become a straw man, how not to become a maritime stock market, stock market traded corporate fiction wage slave, you know, or however, however you want to word that that doesn't sound too like I'm a communist labor party guy or something like that. That's not at all what's happening here. The whole point is to respect that is what's real. So it's what's real is the law, isn't it? It's reality. That's natural law. That's what we should worship when we say we should worship Jesus, right? We're talking about the law, natural law, that which is real. So the atheist is saying, I refute that which is real, essentially. The, the flying spaghetti monster, super skeptical atheist who throws the Bible out as silly nonsense is probably correct to do that, but they're throwing out God, which in the true definition of what God is, is just the universe, everything, the all, nature, that which is real, that which is here, and yourself included. So the atheist argument is refuting itself, right? Refuting existence itself. That's why it's a silly argument, because the person who's making the argument is in existence, making that argument, refuting their own argument with their stance. And so I don't know who this guy is in the bottom right, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> It just looks like one of those like super rational, skeptical, logical atheist types, right? And of course, Darwinism opposing, you know, the theory of creation in the Bible and all this, like people buy into it as like some opposition to Genesis and stuff. And again, it's opposing something that's meant to be an anthropomorphism of nature, an anthropomorphism and allegorization of God through the fictional teachings and workings of Christ in the Bible. And then the Genesis creation in the Old Testament is also extremely allegorized. And we're not going to get into that too much today. But, I mean, that's that's an important point and that I'll keep making and keep going back and refining my arguments on. But uh, basically, you know, all this, the atheist, the flying spaghetti monster church, the super rational Darwinist scientific atheist is has a retarded one-sided worldview that doesn't make any sense. And they're self-refuting their own stance again because the scientific method contains within it metaphysical things that can't be seen and measured with 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 uh, materialism and that you can't actually see such as logic such as you know philosophy itself or um such as reason or knowledge things that you can't see that are metaphysical that science relies upon these philosophical viewpoints that there is truth and there is consistency and objectivism. So a lot of that is just garbage. Like they're just completely lost in this educated, indoctrinated worldview that's been passed down to them on purpose to get them to think in this way. That's ridiculous.
because it's an, it's a dead end. And then you have the people using all these presuppositions and assuming all these different things and assuming scientific consensus even is a thing. And it's assuming that science has a goal to be in some sort of consensus. And that is not the goal of science at all. In fact, the goal of science has nothing to do with how many people believe something. It's, it's completely anti-science to wait for the consensus because consensus is a logical fallacy in itself. The, the appeal to consensus has nothing to do with the truth. And uh, the, the climate scientists and the, the scientific community that has agreed on, on the climate justice and all this and uh, the problems that are happening in the climate, they've been using this stuff since the beginning of the United Nations, which is set up as a eugenicist operation um, from, from eugenics uh, people that want to control, manipulate, depopulate, and dumb down the, the humanity, basically. That's why we have the Club of Rome here in this slide, along with the United Nations and UNESCO. Um, Maurice Strong, a very influential person in this realm, as, as well as many others that we could mention. Um, but, you know, the Club of Rome basically set up for the same agenda, to control and in socially engineer and depopulate humanity. They're eugenics operations, and they've used climate to control uh, the populations. It's the it's their number one tool and tactic at the moment to get you to depopulate yourself, to get you to hate yourself, and you're having a climate meltdown. So it's a psychological thing that they're doing. Obviously, they're using children and things like that to psychologically, uh, basically, they're at war with us and our psychology and physical war as well as mental war. And the it's always dualistic. The climate meltdown is happening in your head. Those that are buying into this, those that are getting caught up into the movements, into the secondary matrix movements or the primary matrix movements, they're creating and fomenting a psychological meltdown of, of your climate. Your climate is melting down. That's what they're trying to melt down. That's what they're trying to remold and reform into Humanity 2.0 is your internal psychological climate. I understand that's complicated and that, that sounds wildly out there. But if you look at the history and the facts of what they've been saying for the last 50 years on this, a lot of what they predict to come true, and they're always making these grand claims and predictions, hasn't come true and isn't happening. And things are actually getting cooler. And uh, the ice, ice caps aren't melting. And the, the carbon in the air isn't causing the temperature to go up massively. And they're manipulating us through the media and uh, through the mass media, mass mind control apparatus into thinking that there's all these major problems because that is the number one way that they've discovered and found to manipulate and control uh, humanity on a mass scale is to manipulate their emotions and feelings about the climate. And uh, what it really is, as you can see, this overlay now on the slide, is eugenics. And again, if, like most people don't have this puzzle. Most people that I interface with in the world don't understand the history of eugenics. They don't understand the history of Margaret Sanger or uh, the eugenics society or uh, how Hitler really came to power and who funded uh, the massive eugenics operation that we all, uh, the humanity, watched unfold in World War II. Uh, the, the sources of these things are from the people that created the League of Nations and the, the United Nations and the UNESCO 
and all that. They're all radical eugenicists and social Darwinists that want to control and manipulate humanity. That's what it really is. This is not a far-reaching claim. I will provide the resources that can be gone into, including in my own brain model. I have done extensive links and research on eugenics itself. And like, if this is the first time you're ever even hearing what eugenics is, I'm sorry, but we're talking about you. Like, if you don't have this puzzle, if you don't have this piece to the eugenics puzzle, then you don't understand the world and why it is the way that it is now, or the operations like the United Nations and the Club of Rome and things like that and why they use climate and climate change to uh, push their agenda because it's like such a, an effective tactic and so th the problem that people would make hearing an argument like this from me is to think that then oh well, he's a science denier he must be a trump supporter he must think no you're just on, you're just in a dialectical argument thinking that this is where i stand on everything like i have my own concerns about weather about the planet about how things are going I have my own concerns about keeping the air clean and uh, keeping the population in, uh, behaving in such a way that is sustainable and all these things. And the way that I phrased that was really bad sounding. But what I mean is like I like to eat clean food and I like to drink clean water and I like to breathe clean air. And I'll have that discussion with you. But if you don't understand the powers in this world that are fomenting war on us and getting us to hate ourselves and enough to kill our own children and poison ourselves and poison other people are doing it because they have an extremely limited worldview because they're psychopaths because they look at the world as a scarcity they don't have a mindset of abundance they're in fear and that fear controls them in such a way to be able to enact atrocities and depopulation that's ongoing and happening now in america and all across the world uh, the United Nations does nothing but kill people. That's their number one objective, is to kill people all around the planet. All you have to do is look at how many people have died at the hands of war and governments and violence from governments since the United Nations came into play under their own making, you know, a lot of the time. It's just completely the opposite of their stated goals and objectives and the esoteric, you know, or the exoteric, the upfront, the dressings on the on the window, the front that they put up is that they're carrying all humanitarian philanthropist, you know, society of, of just people that really care about everybody. But always deep down, there's always the inverted happening, like on with the Roman Catholic Church. Like deep down, it's the most satanic, evil organization on the planet. And these guys are no different than that. And to kind of give us some uh, talking points on this, we have James E. Talmadge who says, the man who cannot listen to an argument which opposes his views either has a weak position or is a weak defender of it. No opinion cannot stand discussion or criticism is worth holding, and it has been wisely said that the man who knows only half of the question is worf worse off than the man who knows nothing of it. He is not only one-sided, but his partisanship soon turns him into an intolerant and a fanatic. In general, it is true that nothing which cannot stand up under discussion and criticism is worth defending. And that is so true, right, with what we're talking about here, with the climate justice people. Like, they're so off on their one side of it and their scientific consensus and their indoctrinated belief system and worldview that's been accepted without questioning. And they're so enraged at the, the left-right paradigm and the fact that Trump has said certain things about this that they're cultish they're absolutely rabid they are not you can't talk to them you can't share information with them you can't talk about the information without them completely 
going ballistic on you and losing their shit about something that they don't even understand but it's like he's saying here they understand one half of it like i was saying that there is a things that we should probably address there are things that have gone on that need to be fixed probably right but they don't understand eugenics they don't understand what the united nations really is they don't understand what globalism and socialism really is they don't get it at all they don't have any of those pieces to the puzzle so they're worse off because they've accepted parts of the argument that don't even make sense parts that were designed and packaged and delivered to you to be unaccepted I mean accepted without critical thinking is what I mean. They have been packaged to emotionally influence and manipulate you. But we have Aurelio Pache here, the founder of the Club of Rome, openly stating the objectives. And I have several more quotes that could have made it into this presentation. I'm going to probably read some of them out. I just didn't have time. I stumbled upon a great collection of quotes from people like this guy with the caliber of this guy. The Club of Rome founder of the Club of Rome, saying the common enemy of humanity is man. In searching for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like would fit the bill. The real enemy of humanity, the real enemy then is humanity itself. And this, you know, again, if you've not heard of this kind of stuff, what I'm talking about, this is like wildly out there and speculative, right? Like, what is he talking about? How could this be? Or what, you know, I've never heard of this before. It's like the common, if, if this were true, there would be all kinds of people talking about it. Right, the common uh, arguments. Uh, but this is true. This is exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, there's so many quotes that I can pull up here. Uh, Thegreenagenda.com. Uh, let me just pull open a few more of these. We're going to go, we're going to take a risk here add some complexity and share this full screen oh yeah that worked let's just zoom in a little add some more complexity see if we can get this bigger so there's the quote we just read there's actually a little bit more in that one my slide was done and prepared before I found the full quote um, but here's another one we need to get some broad-based support to capture the public's imagination so we have to offer up scary scenarios make simplified dramatic statements and make little mention of any doubts each of us has to decide what the bright balance is between being effective and being honest <laughs> stanford professor of climatology led lead author of the ipcc reports timothy wirth says we've got to rid the global We've got to ride this global warming issue. Even if the theory of global warming is wrong, we will be doing the right thing in terms of economic and environmental policy. So you can see the pragmatism here, right? This has been stated many other places from organizations like this where propaganda on the population is okay if we get our goal, right? We're looking out for the best interest of humanity, don't worry. No matter if the science of global warming is all phony, climate change provides the greatest opportunity to bring about justice and equality in the world. And I can stay here and go on and on. If I believe it is appropriate, here's another quote from Al Gore. They have him here as a climate change activist. I would say just like outright satanic sorcerer of evil. 
I believe it is appropriate to have an over-representation of the facts on how dangerous it is as a predicate for opening up the audience, right? So he understands how to manipulate people. And they've been doing this since I was before I was born to, to people, especially like in the public school system, right? And um, the indoctrination system. This has been pounded in our heads my whole life, you know, that the climate and we have to change this and the green agenda and we have to green everything and fossil fuels are bad and the CO2 is bad. You know, even though CO2 is what the plants breathe and periods of history that had much higher CO2 levels were not much warmer than they are now at all. And even if it were a couple degrees warmer, there's a lot of other places on the planet that would be flourishing and there would be climate change. And climate change is an ongoing thing. And I'm not against climate change. That like be that would like that would be like being against Santa Claus again. That's like being an atheist. It's it's self-refuting. Of course, there's climate change. The biggest effector of that is the sun. That's science, you know. It's not settled. There's no such thing as settled science. But that's what the science, the climate change community is arguing, that it's all settled. It's all settled that the polar bears are dying, right? Even though their population has only increased over the last 50 years. Like tenfold. But, they're, but we really need to do something. Really, what it all is, again, is eugenics. It's all just you need to depopulate yourself. You should hate yourself. Carbon, you're a carbon-based life form, and we need to reduce carbon. What do you think they're really saying to you when they want to reduce the carbon level? You are carbon. They're trying to reduce you. Bill Gates is a eugenicist. And luckily, I put in a different kind of a slide here to get us off of this, and we'll keep going along with today's presentation. I'm falling into my own traps, my own movement traps here. Uh, <laughs> getting into the tangents but that's part of why I also do it live is so that you get that extra added benefit value of me just expressing my thoughts on things rather than some scripted pre-formatted show the slides are just guiding us through to get to the end so we can have some kind of central topic to keep going back for the real value I think provided to the show is what I'm doing talking over the slides um, but this is like a transitionary step back into the movement traps and I'm not opposed to the 9-11 truth movement. I'm just using it as another example of how much effect have we really had in the world with 9-11 truth. It, it's waking people up. It's effective in that way. It's helping in that way. But what kind of people have we brought justice? What kind of justice have we gotten? It's a slap in the face, really. I mean, when you look at the justice end of things, it's ridiculous. There's people fighting every day. I, I don't want to discount the the people that are putting in the work to expose the events that happened and try to wake people up with this event or the architects and engineers that are diligently working to you know provide better logic better scientific logical explanations of what happened that day like the University of Fairbanks Alaska and their investigation of uh, World Trade Center 7 and uh, you know the thousands of architects and engineers who get behind these projects and fund them I, I think that's all very valuable. So I'm not, I'm just, you know, this, this movement has the same problem as other movements have, uh, which can end up defaulting to sort of a group think and, and, and dogmatic ways of operating and accepting and moving through the information. And it's also a good example of like, what, how much power do we really have? And like, what can we really do about these things? And it's, it's open, these are open questions. 
I want to be effective in our stance on these things and how we drive these issues forward to expose the truth and to uncover the truth and to seek it at all times and embody that and live it in our lives. But it's a it's an interesting conundrum, you know, when you look out at things like this that are probably some of the biggest movements of our time. And, uh, you know, the, it's an, like I said, an open question. How effective ultimately has all of that effort been? I want it to be extremely effective. I want it to wake people up and not just shake people up. But we also need to be honest with ourselves about the current human condition, you know, and constantly recheck in with how things are going and not be caught up in the the movement aspect of these things and keep keep it real with what our goals really are uh, when it comes to seeking the truth. So ultimately all revolutions are controlled, circular, and do not result in the intent of the revolutionaries or bring about true and lasting change. This is my summary, you know. They're like in this this uh, circular road here. They're going in a revolution. Interesting that the word revolutions uh, involves revolving around something, right? Going around it. Going around in a circle, not necessarily having to evolve, right? It could just be circular and not go anywhere. That's something a revolution can do, or it can end up creating a worse condition, creating worse off, or just changing the mask around on the tyranny, moving it from monarchies to democracies when really the power play stays the same. It's all just, these are all just shows play out for us. This is all just a matrix created to keep you in the matrix. And still, the main operators and their families don't change throughout time. And they might get added to, or one comes up and down, and there's these different changing of musical chairs for their own shit that goes on back there. But it, ultimately, the French Revolution, the Magna Carta, the De- Declaration of Independence, the, the uh, Constitution, what, what we're finding and what I've discovered is that this is all just allowing the plebs to have their fun while we keep the reins on, we keep the saddles on, we keep the control, but we give them the open-air prison. Now they have, you know, now they're monitoring themselves. Now they're imprisoning themselves with the technology that we're giving them. And now we're we're all having this massive awakening into what I'm calling here the secondary matrix. It's just another matrix where you're still watching the depopulation take place. You're still watching all the evil shit go on. You're still watching the slavery. You're still participating in your own slavery, even. And that's the secondary matrix. That's what it is. So a graphic here I made the other night uh, while in the autonomy class uh, making from the logo from the Richard Groves t-shirt that is pretty popular. I have a t-shirt. I need to get another one because mine's all worn out. And something also that Richard says or he said in so many words in other places has been uh, freedom without learning is a recipe for disaster. So anarchy without knowing what the hell you're doing is just a recipe for disaster. And in, in that logo, you say you see it says, freedom is learned, it's not inherited, right? You don't just default into freedom, or you don't just become woke and you're free. That's not how it works. Like, the, the secondary matrix is full of slaves and prisoners just the same. And we're learning our way out of this, and we're helping each other, hopefully. And we're throwing ropes and, you know, throwing down mines of light into the to the 
bottom of the depths to explode with information and trying to wake people up and things like that, right? But if we're not continually proceeding through our learning and creating more freedom and pushing and constant pressure and consistency with this stuff and working on our autonomy, then freedom is just a recipe for disaster. And I think the American experiment is a great example of this. It's been some of the most freedom that any human beings have ever experienced on the face of the earth. And at the same time, it's been one of the biggest genocides and killings and massive slaughterings of people anywhere on the earth. There, Those both things can be true. People will say, well, it's the most free time ever in history and the most peaceful, but they're making a mistake saying it's the most peaceful. No, it's not. There's a genocide. There is war killing millions and millions and millions and millions of people throughout the 20th century by Mao Zedong, by Hitler, by Stalin, by all the Americans going and killing other people around the world, you know, and killing our own children. The, the, the other mass genocide that happens with the freedom to do whatever you want with your body, including murdering your child, you know. And so freedom without understanding and without incorporation and without wisdom is a recipe for disaster. And that's exactly what we're living through right now. Um, I think that's a great way to summarize it. I think that slide needs a little bit of work, but, you know, once I get my new t-shirt, we'll, we'll sport it on the show. We'll show it off a little bit. It's coming winter time, so there's a sweater I was looking at that, and we'll talk more about autonomy in the future, too. Um, when I have more of that ready to talk about. But a lot of this with the secondary matrix is like, here what I'm trying to illustrate is that people don't understand, you know, the sorcerer behind the scenes. That's one of the problems here, is that we have people entering the secondary matrix who don't understand the full picture. They need to do more work. They need to read more and do more in-depth research on how things came about, how the United Nations came about. How the Club of Rome, what their intentions are exactly, and how things like the League of Nations developed into the United Nations, and who Cecil Rhodes is, and have you been become familiar with uh, Carol Quigley's work, or are you just even you know in the communities that I'm in, just kind of fawning that you're familiar, but you really don't spend the time that it takes and is required to understand what's being relayed in the work, right? You don't take the ten years of kind of graduating yourself through the information that's available out there and we jump right into the secondary matrix without understanding without the understanding you know freedom is a recipe for disaster and so the sorcerers behind the scenes are part of what we need to understand and to kind of relate into what we're talking about here today quite a bit about eugenics and the modern revolutionary movements um, a really important author to understand is Anthony Anthony C. Sutton um, and his work, uh, these are just examples of a couple books uh, kind of in context of today that I'll also have in the resource show notes. Um, but his book, Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler and Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution show this kind of hidden hand in these revolutionary movements of the money powers and the banking powers and uh, Wall Street in this case and companies like IG Farben or uh, Henry Ford and individuals like that that actually funded both sides of, of these uh, what were like fomented revolutions that these uh, revolutions quote-unquote have funding or these these massive eugenics operations had funding that was hidden that's not understood that people don't get how people understand there's the occultists understand psychology and occultists are at the top of 
this structure, this fictional corporate piracy structure are they're occultists. They hide information from us. And a lot of what they hide is what they understand about revolutions and psychology and meltdown and people's ability to be manipulated. This here is not the end-all be-all of that. What I'm talking about with Anthony Sutton is just like the very surface level, easy to grab examples of what we can see that's from an excellent, excellent author who's just, his work is tremendous. And we're going to bring up a small clip of what he's talking about with these books and uh, some of the stuff I'm talking about with, uh, you know, subverting a revolution. So when we're I'm providing the context here for how revolutions become subverted and manipulated. And the modern revolutions are no different. That's what we have to keep in mind. The modern voluntarist, anarchist, libertarian revolutions are no different than the past, than the recent past. And now we have the opportunity and context to look and see how some of this stuff works. So that's why we'll be playing this clip here. I'm going to step away. Hopefully it just keeps playing. Um, got it set. Go take care of a couple things, including grab, grabbing a drink. It's a little bit of a longer clip, five to eight minutes. But like I said, today we're doing kind of a long haul stream. Today we're going for the long form attention span audience, right? We're putting out the information today for the people that actually care about what I'm discussing here with the secondary matrix and uh, the failed movements and falling into the movement traps. We're not going for the the surface level, let me just make fun of what Tyler's doing and talk shit about what he's doing here on the stream, or let me jump in here and defend my voluntarism real quick. That's not what we're doing here today. Today we're providing some facts. Today we're getting into some quotes that are really important and some works that are really important, and we're going to bring on a few video clips because we have the ability to do that. So here we go. Dr. Sutton, you wrote three series of books while you were a research fellow at the Hoover Institute. Can you give me basically the background of the content of these series? Yes, the, uh, the uh, series I wrote at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University concerned the transfers of Western technology to the Soviet Union and essentially comprised uh, three individual books. Each book covers a period of time from, since 1917. And then you wrote a second series of books on Wall Street. Yes, uh, these were trade books. Uh, in other words, they're, they're not academic books. They're written for the general public. Uh, they concerned the uh, build-up of the three types of socialism, uh, Bolshevik socialism in Russia, um, what we might call welfare socialism in the United States, and uh, Hitlerian or national socialism. And each book examines the financing and the contributions made by Wall Street by international bankers to that to the development of that specific form of socialism. Now, in your research and analysis and your efforts to bring out the facts about what was going on in our society, did you encounter any effort to discourage you, to prevent you from bringing out the background of America's involvement in the financing of international communism? Yes, very definitely. Um, for example, uh, when I was at the Hoover Institution uh, in 1972, I went to Miami Beach to give some testimony before the um, Republican National Committee. And uh, although a congressman had hand-delivered to the wire services this testimony, which was later printed, uh, the wire services refused to transmit it to the newspapers. Then when I got back to the Hoover Institution um, in California, um, I was called into the office of the director and uh, 
I was uh, told in no uncertain terms not to make any more speeches like that and that this information should not be made public. This was the information that we were giving uh, the, at, the Soviet Union the technology to develop its war potential? Oh, yes. At that time, we were, in, we, we were in Vietnam. And as you know, the Soviets were supplying the North Vietnamese. This was 1972? 1972, yes. And, uh, for example, I knew that the Gorky plant, which was built by the Ford Motor Company, but the Gorky plant in Russia produces the gas a series of vehicles. The gas vehicles had been seen on Ho Chi Minh Trail. We were supplying equipment to the Gorky plant in the middle of the Vietnamese war, and these trucks were being used to carry ammunition supplies, which were killing Americans. Now, I thought this was morally wrong, and I said so in Miami Beach and at the Hoover Institution. And it was this type of information uh, that was suppressed. And so what eventually happened as far as your activities at the Hoover Institution were concerned? Well, I didn't pay much heed to the warnings. I, I published a book called National Suicide in the following year, which um, summarized our assistance to uh, the Soviets, our military assistance to the Soviets. And when that book came out, again, again there was great pressure to stop the book. Uh, both on, there was pressure on both the publishers and me personally. And uh, I felt I couldn't take this. And a few years later, I just left the Hoover Institution. And since 1975, I've been an independent author without any ties whatsoever. Let's go a little bit into the background of the financing of the German war machine that we fought in the period 1941 to 1945. Could we start, first of all, with the original financing of Hitler between 1922 and 1923, uh, 1923 when he was first making his effort to come into prominence in Germany? The original financing of Hitler, that's in the years 1922, came only partly from Germany. Uh, one of the most prominent Americans concerned with financing Hitler was uh, Henry Ford. In fact, Henry Ford received a medal in 1938 for his assistance to the early Nazi party. Then, of course, Hitler had his attempted push in uh, 1923. He went to jail, and then we begin another era in the rise of Hitler. Right, and of course, he eventually came to power in 1933 uh, by the electoral process. What about the financing of Hitler's um, electoral activities in 1933? But this, this I can trace, I have traced it very exactly. I discovered uh, amongst the Nuremberg records a series of bank transfer slips um, to the Delbruck Schickler Bank in Berlin to an account which was under the control of Rudolf Hess. And this was the fund that was used to finance Hitler's access to power in March 1973. And amongst the corporations, that transferred money to Hitler, I find not only R.G. Farben, which is, which is quite widely known, but also uh, German General Electric, AEG, which is under, under the control of General Electric in the United States, or was at that time, and com uh, companies like Osram and... Um, now, what was the tie-in between Osram and General Electric? The tie-in was a share tie-in. International General Electric in the United States had controlling interest in German General Electric and also through share interlocks, uh, a controlling interest in Osram in, in Germany. So then we have Ford and we have General Electric helping to finance Adolf Hitler's rise mm -hmm. to power. Mm -hmm. Were any other large American corporations involved? Oh, very definitely. Um, Standard Oil, through its uh, technical association with IG Farben, um, uh, for example, uh, Germany could not have gone to war in 1939 without uh, tetraethyl. You need tetraethyl to raise the octane value of aviation gasoline. Germany had no means of doing that. This was developed in the um, 
in the ethyl uh, laboratories in the United States and transferred uh, to the Germans. Uh, Standard Oil came up with the hydrogenation idea, which was very essential for Germany in the 1930s because the, uh, to raise the quality of its gasoline for aviation purposes. This was transferred to the Nazis. And uh, ITT, for example, International Telephone and Telegraph, uh, was very intimately associated with the Nazis uh, through Dr. Schroeder, who was head of the um, ITT subsidiaries in uh, Germany. And ITT controlled companies which made not only um, um, electrical instruments, but also the Focke-Wulf plant, which made um, airplanes, uh, fighter airplanes. So what you're suggesting then is that American corporations were helping to finance the German industry that was building up the war potential? American corporations, only a few, not many, financed Hitler through their subsidiaries. They transferred technology. They transferred material assistance, for example, stocks of tetraethyl before the Germans could manufacture it under the joint manufacturing agreement with the United States. And also they financed this. For example, Standard Oil financed in 1933 the development of the um, gasoline industry in uh, Germany, which was needed to fight World War II. And that's a very interesting point. Could you go a little bit into the background of where Germany got its oil to fight the Second World War? Because certainly Germany doesn't have oil resources. Germany does not have oil resources. That's true. It uh, used in World War II synthetic oil, which it did, which it uh, got from coal and the basic technical processes for the development of oil from coal came from the United States from uh, essentially from the standard oil laboratories which had this technical assistance agreement with IG Farben and of course IG Farben contributed uh, something like 60% of the explosives needed um, by the German Wehrmacht uh, probably about 40-50% of the gasoline needed by the Wehrmacht and by the German Air Force the Luftwaffe All right, so as you can see, uh, that was, like I said, a little bit of a longer clip, but you can expect a lot more of that um, coming up here in the show where we're going to provide as much context as possible, you know, when necessary. And there's a lot of context to be provided with these topics. And uh, I'm not going to limit myself um, to thinking like, oh, I don't have time for this or, uh, you know, my audience doesn't want to hear this kind of stuff or... You know, if I'd make this too long, that there's going to be issues. Like, for me, there's no issues. Like, if I have enough time to go into the material and there's enough material and uh, energy and things like that available while I'm going through it, then I'm going to do it. You know, we're going to do it here on the show. We'll do it live. <coughs> and it's archived and documented, you know, for immediate use. Um, and I can go and we can clip things out if necessary. I don't see that as being necessary. I'm willing to allow mistakes on the show and bloopers and things like that. That's part of why uh, doing it live is, is interesting because people like to kind of, it's like NASCAR, like they're waiting for the wreck in a way too, right? And so if you're going to be a spectacle, like make it a fun experience, right? <laughs> And uh, so the Discord adds extra value to that. TylerBloyer.com slash live um, will get you into a link to take you into the Discord where this headset here picks up uh, the mic into the Discord. So I'm streaming the show into an audio-only format for low bandwidth people 
uh, or people on the go can easily just have the Discord and run that. You know, it's a background application on your phone. You can listen to the show live and even have the opportunity to take a question. Now, being that it's kind of early in my streaming days and I don't have some massive social media online following, I don't really care to, you know, it sounds silly me kind of saying, that's almost like I'm begging people to get into the show. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is trying to uh, provide more value and a way to get your burning question uh, into the show. So officially, you know, that will be after the presentations that I'm going into so we're not like being interrupted but once it's open floor after the presentation I'll continue to discuss the show and surrounding topics around the show um, but people can also come in and ask a question so it, it's my you know giving my time to what we're doing here and making sure that I'm present for that so that's what it's more about uh, all this not so much just about me or what I'm trying to do or get attention doing. Um, but here, we're, again, going back, what Antony is talking about, people in this paradigm, the false left-right political paradigm, have no idea, you know? Like, they're totally outside of that type of information stream, which is why we're bringing and injecting it into this information stream, right? But uh, this is where the primary matrix dwellers mainly are and we wanted to bring them into this and we, ca we can't leave them out you know we can't just ignore the primary matrix as not having any effect on the secondary matrix but if this is where you're at mentally still you're still voting for your team or still think that politics and democracy um, is real and that it's also designed for the people for we the people and you think that that's us and this this kind of circus show uh, back and forth thing, the attacking and the uncovering and the Russia Gate, and um, the the new thing that's happening with the impeachment and the climate justice stuff and the United Nations and the stuff they're trying to put out in front of you, you're you're no different than this cartoon greatly illustrates here, and you're not in the secondary matrix. Unfortunately, I hate to break that to you, but today's show was not about you. You can go back to watching CNN. You can go back to watching your MSNBC. Uh, no one's going to get offended. It's okay. You can, you know, stay in your primary matrix. We out here on the secondary matrix can can sit and listen to other people disagree with them and put out opinions that they might not agree with. We can objectively look at information and take it in and move it around and not accept it or reject it, but poke around a little at it. And then we can, you know, break out of our childish uh, extended adolescent learned helplessness worldviews of the Pavlovian... Uh, Prussian uh, world that's been set up for us and uh, actually think for ourselves so I'm sorry you know the, the false left right political paradigm people um, this show was not for you you can just switch it off in fact you can unsubscribe if you were subscribed you can move on with your day don't don't worry about it we're not uh, gonna try to you know, c continue to offend you. I know this show with talking about climate change as being eugenics and all this other stuff has been like super offensive. And, and so don't worry, like you can just hate me and continue to ignore what I'm saying and continue to ignore people like me that are trying to put out the information that we're trying to talk about here today and go back and put your head in your sand and enjoy your slavery, enjoy your, your suffering and self-hatred and denial and, uh, your Stockholm syndrome 
and medications will treat you just fine. And Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and the Soma and all the, the psychological, pharmacological methods of controlling you and making you feel better even though everything's totally fucked. Yeah, don't worry. Life's going to be just fine. I mean, what else am I supposed to say with that slide? <laughs> Why did I put that in here even in the secondary matrix? They don't understand, you know, the shadowy figures behind the scenes. And I'm not saying with this that the Rothschilds are at the top of everything. It's just a good illustration of what people, what we're talking about, what people don't understand the behind the scenes you know this there's there's geoengineering happening in the far background here we have the federal reserve we have the um zionist jewish state known as israel you know the 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 political jews um who are just you know kind of wearing this rothschildian mask here uh with the money being put out in front of you and you can see like the politicians kind of all hypnotized by the money and also completely puppets on this sorcerer's string here not that the Rothschilds are at the top of everything that's not it's not what i'm saying either <clears throat> but they are high up there in the hierarchy right and they're something that can be learned about and studied like who is behind the federal federal reserve bank and who are some of these ancient powerful families you know who might have the finances to push a global geoengineering aerosol stratospheric aerosol injection spraying program like where are there people out there that money isn't the objective anymore that they've conquered that aspect of their control system and now their intention is to control you you know with chasing toto down the yellow brick road here i mean i could i don't know i could go on you get the point well several times okay. before about mm. idea but, but see, that's where I need to look at my cue over here. We got another video coming up. So this one's also a little bit longer. It's one that's been pushed around a little bit in the year in the uh, social media world with the woke, the quote unquote woke community, right? But it's important to talk about here, and I want to kind of point out like Yuri here is talking about American uh, ideological subversion. He's not just talking about from the KGB or from Russia. Or where he came from like he's coming here and warning us the place that he considers to be the last hope because that's where he defected to that the same things happening to us and he at the time if you notice I believe it's in this clip he claims that it's done like the whole process of ideological subversion back in 83 when uh, the badass G Edward Griffin did this interview because G Edward Griffin is a badass regardless of you if you disagree with certain things that G Edward has said or any of that it doesn't matter like he is one of the you know if we need any kind of people to put up on a on call mentors leaders people of uh high uh esteem that have come before us in this movement quote unquote in the freedom movements there's no better person or someone to point to than g edward griffin uh regardless if you think that some of his things in the creature from Jekyll Island were a little off maybe with kind of fantasizing a little bit or pushing a little bit of a, of a how things went down with um, the Jekyll Island meeting and how Congress was just so manipulated and tricked almost in kind of like defending Congress either way and even if you would call this here this clip coming up sort of a limited hangout because 
you know, they're in the belly of the beast <laughs> broadcasting out the defector from Russia talking, telling the Americans that the same thing is happening to us. And I think most people will need to watch this clip and I'll share it in my notes a few times and put watch the whole interview. Like this is a small five to eight minute clip. The whole interview, I, I don't recall exactly the length, but it's no more than an hour. It might be like 45 minutes or something. And it's it's one that you should go back and watch like once a year, honestly, because of what's uncovered. So I'll uh, stop uh, hyping it up and jump into this clip here from Yuri Bezmenov with G. Edward Griffin back in the 80s. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the process which is legitimate, overt, and open. You, you can see it with your own eyes. All, all you have to do, all American mass media has to do, is to unplug their bananas from their ears, open up their eyes, and they can see it. There is no mystery. There is nothing to do with espionage. I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic. It sells more deodorants through the advertising, probably. That's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type of, of, of thrillers. But in reality, the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, activne meropriatia in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result? The result you can see, most of the people who graduated in the 60s, dropouts or half-baked intellectuals, are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. They are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind, even if you... If you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black, you still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid of society of these people, you, have, you need another 20 or, or, or 15 years 
to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and, and, and uh, common, common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of the uh, of, uh, United States society. And yet these people who've been programmed and, as you say, in place and yes. who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept, mm -hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? Most of them, yes, mm -hmm. uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, obviously they will revolt. They, 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 will, uh, they, they will be very unhappy, frustrated people. And the Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. Uh, they, obviously they will join the links of dissenters, mm -hmm. dissidents. Uh, unlike in present United States, there will be no place for dissent in, in future Marxist-Leninist America. Uh, here you can, you can get uh, popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. This they don't understand, and uh, it will be greatest shock for them, of course. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled, because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. I've got to take myself off mute there. And, you know, I need to, like, create a a gap slide so that's the thing about doing it live like this is that you learn things and one of the things I learned is like after the videos I need to have a slide that just kind of brings me back up or I need to put my full screen back up so that I don't have to immediately start addressing the next slide and especially when it's a slide like this slide that's like really visual <laughs> and needs explaining without just leaving it up on the screen um, but he was talking about ideological subversion right and demoralization and so I did feel like this next slide was fitting uh, for the discussion and for what he's talking about there and how far off our society has gotten the, off the rails even since then this since that video when he said that we were in complete full and already dominated by ideological subversion which was infiltrated by our intelligence agencies and injected uh, more and more into our society and what I argue to willing people that are willing to be corrupt and willing to take go along with it to the point now where we uh, have dragged children 
twerking and uh, bestiality uh, right in front of our face in, the, in all sorts of media on a daily basis, um, demoralizing us even further. So we're not like fully complete. Like we wasn't fully baked back in the 80s. We can go infinitely down this rabbit hole, down this rabbit hole to shit and hell. Uh, we can definitely keep going, and uh, we can start having gay, pri gay pra pride parades where little children are having penises waved in front of their face and call this freedom, right? So going back to the, the libertarian freedom happiness principle philosophy, right? Like, well, why can't any of this on this slide be freedom? And maybe people are out there are like, well, hell yeah, that's freedom. That's exactly what I think freedom is, right? So I know that people are like, yep, that's exactly the right path we need to go down. But for those of us who actually give a shit and are still sane and uh, can see what's happening here and what Yuri was talking about in that clip, and uh, this is the continuation. This is 5.0 or whatever, 5.179, the new iteration of the ideological subversion and demoralization of a society to take them further into bondage, bondage and slavery under the guise of freedom. It's always under the mask of the, the, the freedom movement. It's always under the mask of the Liberation Party. The radical revolutionaries uh, are always paving the road straight to hell. And now we're on the verge and the cusp of a technological aspect of this stuff where you may be uh, forced into a virtual place where you can't have the filters that you do now and keep your door locked and have your family still separate from this satanic luciferian agenda to demoralize and corrupt the individuals and the families it's causing sexual confusion and gender confusion and all this stuff is a war this is all war tactics being used on our society and uh what it is is child abuse that's what we can see it really as when we're awake, quote-unquote, and paying attention, is that what's happening is child abuse and mass trauma ritual, uh, satanic rituals being done on society um, in the form of abusing children. That's what's real. That's the reality of what's happening in 2019. I'm not sure if Yuri himself would, or if he's still around. I don't know. But what he would think about all that, you know, what he would have to say, he'd probably say, I thought it was kind of completed back in the 80s, but I really had a limited imagination back then, apparently, because holy shit, I think that's what he would say. So to kind of wind down the slideshow presentation, we have William Blake, who, of course, uh, the famous saying that everyone always butchers, <laughs> including myself, it's always that the hand of vengeance found the bed to which the purple tyrant fled. The iron hand crushed the tyrant's head and became tyrant in his stead. William Blake. And that's the famous quote of exactly what he was recognizing as what we're talking about here with the secondary matrix. What we're warning about with falling into the movement traps is that it's your revolutionary radical extremist movement, the one that's so active and so busy doing all these things, that ends up becoming the tyrant. You end up becoming the demon. You end up becoming the evil, uh, the devil's advocate, basically. You end up being the tyrannical system uh, 
in the, in the tyrant stead that you try to topple. So it's a whole different approach, obviously. It's a wholly different approach than what we're being sold in these movements, in these revolutionary paths, in these rabbit holes, basically, that we end up going down. And we're going to play a nice little clip at the end of the sli slideshow presentation to give, instead of intermission music today, we're going to do another clip uh, that's a little bit longer into the extended show, but it'll go a more rational view um, from Brett Vinat about how to kind of cope with your post-radical movement ideologies, voluntarism, anarchism, libertarianism, um, nihilism, um, radical religious thoughts, you know, any one of these paths that you could take post kind of uh, coming out of the haze of uh, the total matrix into the secondary matrix. I like how this is coming together. See, I think I got something here. I think I think the secondary matrix is going to be like a new thing with like t-shirts and banners. We'll see. You know, it's always going to be around as we move further along with this show and the information being provided. I'm having a lot of fun. I think this is great. So, uh, as long as I'm happy as a clam doing this kind of stuff, uh, learning new things, always uh, having to up my game, um, work on my confidence and ability to come up and step up and move into one of these things, knowing that there's going to be mistakes and haters and people that don't understand or can't uh, consume, don't have the time, quote-unquote, to consume this material, and then people in my family that are just going to throw it off as the same Tyler doing the same thing, and, oh, there's more stuff of his that I don't agree with, and he must just be a Trump supporter, or whatever kind of, like, summary of my work people around me come up with, with an excuse to not just, like, check it out and then have a conversation with me about what I'm talking about, like, Instead, it's like all the, uh, you know, you'll notice like with people close to you in your life, like instead of them actually discussing things with you, if they're concerned, a lot of the time, like they have like this like feel about them, like you're doing something wrong or like, <laughs> like uh, they don't agree, but you'll never like hear why, like they have like a hard time because there's this gap, you know, and that's here. Let's, let's mute. There's a gap between autonomous thinking and autonomy of the individual and where most people are at and uh, being able to critically think about things there's a big gap and so you know my work for the next while is going to seem like I'm just deconstructing 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 and that's intentional so I'm not I'm not afraid to say that yes you're right that there's going to be a lot of what appears to be negativity, but it's like me tearing down the things that need to be torn down in order to provide the building blocks, right, to move forward. And so there are building blocks that will be provided, and I try to sprinkle in little hints of that, but we can't focus. Those are going to be like shows or series of things or whole new me's that you see develop on this show, and people will wonder themselves, like, what's Tyler doing? Why is he over there? you know, doing things this way. Now, I thought he was just like this negative person online, always mad about everything. I thought that's what Tyler was like. So their expectation of how this is going to go is probably incorrect. And only time and my consistent uh, persistence with this will uh, be able to provide that building block platform to give people a path out of this stuff that we're deconstructing now, not just tear it down. But we will spend a large amount of time, of course, deconstructing and that's what a logical process of using the trivia method is all about. It's not the full picture, though. It's not the whole thing, and it doesn't help us get out of the matrix. Often it actually in, entrenches us, embeds us worse into that.
so yeah, that's where this show is headed. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit further after the show too, after the presentation today. And of course, we could not get away from a whole show without having Carl Jung interjected here, you know. But we will get away from a whole show without doing the Jordan Peterson voice. So we'll, we'll just keep it out of this show. We'll have a little self-control. So here Jung says, I have learned from the East what it means by the phrase Wu Wei, not doing, letting be which is quite different from doing nothing. Some Occidentals also have known what is not doing means. For instance, Meister Eckhart, who speaks of sikh le son, to let, I butchered that, I don't know, I'm just going with it, we're doing it live, or to let oneself be. The region, the region of darkness into which one falls is not empty. It is the lavishing mother of Lao Tzu the images and the seed. When the surface has been cleared, things grow out of the depths. People always suppose that they have lost their way when they come up against these depths of experience. But if they do not know how to go on, the only answer is, the only advice that makes any sense, is to wait for the unconscious and see what it has to say about the situation. A way is only the way when one finds it and follows it oneself. There is no general prescription for, quote-unquote, how to do it. So, you know, like I said, we'll sprinkle in the solutions, and I don't care if you're like an anti-Jungian and now you're all mad because I quoted Carl Jung again, or I brought in Nietzsche at the beginning, you know, now you're, you're going to criticize me for people that had excellent things to say about human psychology, such as Carl Jung. And we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. And um, this is a quote that I've read, read quite often and shared uh, out on my social justice warrior social medias, you know. Because it's a, it's a different way to, to, to approach this whole show, right? It's a different way of looking at this whole problem. And it doesn't, it's not divisive. And we can't get into the climate change debate with this and other things like that. And he's ending it saying it's only you that knows that and can walk the path of the individual. There's no the way to follow. You have to follow and find that path yourself. You know, and uh, it's not a movement. And uh, we can't answer it with a movement. We can't fix the problems in the world with movements. Here we have Epicurus and a uh, this picture here I actually got from, uh, I forget the place, what it's called, but there's like a live music venue downtown. It's on like, ooh, like first south in Salt Lake City and probably like second east or maybe even like first east or something like that. It actually might be on the other side of state. But anyway, this painting is on the ceiling there on the, on the high wall. And I saw this like several years back, probably like six years ago, and snapped a picture of it. And it's a it's a profile picture of this page called Omnipotence on Facebook. And it's been that profile picture ever since. And I was able to incorporate it here into the show with a great quote that says, Let no one delay the study of philosophy while he is young. And when it and when he is old, let him not become weary of the study. 
for no man can ever find the time unsuitable or too late to study the health of his soul. So again, weaving in some of the solutions here at the end, though, it's not about out there, and it's about a personal study of philosophy to come to love wisdom itself. And this, the goal and the path and the way to follow is what's real and discovering that through your philosophy, through a holistic worldview that hopefully doesn't have major contradictions and holes and flaws and things like that in it. So again, there's no movement here. And the real revolution does start within. It's within you that the answer is, and it's not out there. And that's kind of the overall arching message of the last three live streams, really. Um, and uh, if that wasn't exactly clear, now I've explicitly stated that. And so we've come to the end of the official live show presentation slide deck today. So that uh, was quite an eventful, almost three-hour section in itself. So I knew that would take a while. I was pretty close because I said like two and a half to three hours, and we're right there. We're at two hours and 43 minutes into this live stream here on uh, September 29th, 2019. Part two of Falling into the Movement Traps, The Secondary Matrix, uh, with your host, Tyler Bloyer. And you can check out the show, tylerbloyer.com slash live. There we have a Discord chat, Discord server, not not too hopping, not too, not too popping off these days, but it's brand new. Same with this show and this stream and uh, this new format and new work that I do is all done new. This is all, you know, a couple months old. I'm just getting used to it myself. And uh, I had to kind of refute a lot of the work that I'd done previously on other podcasts, which was hard to do. And I had to put myself out there in a way to actually what could be perceived as flip-flopping, which is really just growth and moving along through a path and through, I think, a thing that a lot of people go through, which is sort of a little bit of this infi in, um, infantilism of falling into the movement traps of socialist, communist movements or libertarianism, uh, natural rights philosophy, anarchism, and voluntarism uh, especially gets picked on around here. Uh, we like to pick on voluntarists. Um, because some of the arguments there are the weakest, um, so we're picking on the weakest arguments first. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm just talking shit. I'm totally kidding about that. And uh, of course, we try to upgrade the set, make it a little bit unique every time. Uh, we learned some things with this live stream. This has probably been one of the most. Uh, mixing it up and complicated technical live streams that I've done and I've learned a few things through the process so that's why you do it right I could have prepared a show like this and pre-recorded it and sat for a week and edited it and made it all perfect and not have the interruptions and not had a uh, you know the fumbling with words or miss saying things or you know I'm thirsty I'm hungry I have to go to the bathroom and all these other things that happen during a live show or you can just put yourself out there to do it, which is like counterintuitive to a personality like mine, to be honest with you. With you, So this is very challenging to me to do, where somebody else, maybe this is like supernatural, and this is, this is how they handle things. This is not the case for me. FY Izzle. Yeah, I just said that on a live stream. That's why you do it live. You know? And I have quite a bit to go into still. I think what I'd like to do 
is practice a different type of sharing the screen here and pull up a video to give myself a little intermission because we do want to come back and summarize the show. I do want to come back and provide um, some more context on some of the things that were talked about today because I feel like it's it's a, my due diligence and responsibility to do that even though it has been you know a longer show. We're not going to have an excuse that I can't do that or time that I can't do that. And uh, of course all the shows are posted to the website later with references. Over time I'll add more references material and the brain model will, will get updated. Again part of sharing the brain model on the show today was the same thing, to add some pressure on myself to, to start working more with that model again if I'm going to be uh, using it on the show and in my work. I, um, it's not complete, it's not full, not that it will ever be complete, but I could, I could add a lot more to it that I've left out. It's, it takes time and effort and I am doing my best and you know, again, there's no excuses. So this, to put the brain out there and uh, share it, it's gonna, later when I'm watching this, to edit and add, or not to edit, because these don't get edited so far, uh, to add resources and make sure I'm you know, covering anything I said on the show that might need to be corrected or something like that. Uh, I'll plug things into the brain model more now because it'll want it'll want uh, if other people are gonna ever ever go in there and look at my messy brain, I better get it organized, right? So that's another reason why I shared it out today on today's show. So let's hop into this slide here for a sec. Again, revealing my notes accidentally. Let's see how the audio is here. I'm gonna start playing this video that I wanted to share for my. Hi. My name is Brett, and I'm currently recovering from a dangerous and extreme belief system. A belief system that if I had not taken action, most likely would have landed me in jail or even a mental institution. This belief system has many names, but it is most often referred to as libertarianism. For years, I would frighten ordinary people with long rants about the non-aggression principle. That's the central ethical stance in libertarianism, which asserts that the initiation of physical force against persons or property or the threat of such force is inherently illegitimate, regardless of what kind of excuses somebody makes up to aggress. I know, when I hear myself say it out loud today, I realize how crazy I once was. But I've made a lot of progress. Through my exposure to new points of view and sources of information, I've realized that I was being just too optimistic about the huge group of people who live their lives peacefully and mind their own business, and too cynical about the tiny group of people who disregard these utopian notions of non-aggression, property rights, and self-ownership in order to keep us safe and maintain stability. Even though a lot of the time it does seem like they have no problem treating our communities and the entire planet like their own personal f***ing whoa. I'm sorry, still trying to let go of some of this negative imagery. Like I said, recovery is a process. But it wasn't just the flaws in libertarian thinking, it was also the dangers. This occurred to me one day when somebody who lives in the real world asked me the question, what would you do if you woke up tomorrow and government was gone? I had never thought about it before, and at that point, a terrifying worst-case, worst-case scenario started to play out in my mind. And before I was even halfway through this imaginative what-if scenario, things got so dark that I was forced to swear off the philosophy of liberty for good.
Because of the difficult economic situation, we would have to assume that there would be a significant spike in property crime, theft and looting. Now, libertarians might try to argue that property owners would demand protection services and somebody would quickly rise up to meet that demand. But I think things would be a little too chaotic for that. Now, imagine this. A sudden and enormous increase in violence. The first kind of violence would be property owners trying to defend what is theirs, which libertarians would argue, rightfully so, that they have a right to do. But friends, this is a worst case scenario. So there would also be a rise in violent crime in furtherance of theft, and things would quickly spin even more out of control. Now libertarians might again argue at this point that whatever violence or theft is taking place would be far less than what the state was carrying out the very day before. But don't worry, my fellow non-libertarians, I'm about to make this scenario much, much worse in my imagination. Even if most people turned out to be peaceful and capable of rational thought and recognize that violence is totally impractical, there's always going to be bad people. And they would have decided, for whatever reason, that they were going to continue going around and enacting random violence on whoever they want to get whatever they need. Now at this point again, the libertarian would chime in and say those kinds of thugs would be drastically outnumbered by peaceful and cooperative people. But in the worst case scenario, these violent actors wouldn't stop just because they were outnumbered. They would band together. They would carry out their violence in predation against the people in groups to increase their chances of success. And what we would have over time, maybe it would take a few weeks, maybe it would take a few months, maybe even a few years, groups of these violent marauders going around, finding communities filled with peaceful and productive people, getting along and living their lives, and they would go in and kill them all and take their stuff. And I can already hear the libertarians saying that is so stupid, if these violent marauders killed all the productive people, they would die off themselves. Since they don't know how to do anything besides violence, they would eventually starve or run out of resources. And that would be the end of it. But I'm one step ahead of you. See, over time, we have to assume that the marauders, the thugs, would get smarter. And after several bands of these thugs had died from starvation or lack of resources because they killed all the people who knew how to do and get all the stuff, they would realize that when they raid a village, they have to leave some productive people alive so they can come back later and take the new stuff that they made. And over time, they would actually develop even more subtle and efficient methods of exploiting their victims. Instead of roaming around or periodically going back to a village and killing more people and taking more stuff, sooner or later, they would just move in and live amongst the productive people. See, in the worst case scenario, they would be really diabolical. Instead of all this back and forth, back and forth surprise, here we are again, within a few years, people would just be used to them. And they would also get used to the fact that when they want to, these thugs are going to take their stuff. Maybe rough them up a little bit. It's getting pretty bad, isn't it, libertarians? Well, guess what? It gets worse. From the darkest corners of my fear-filled imagination comes this idea. What if these thugs, these predators, were so clever that eventually they realized that their little system could continue unabated if they just bribed the people 
You see, after the thugs took everything they wanted for themselves and gave whatever they wanted to their friends, what if they just took whatever was left and offered it as kind of like a kickback to the productive people in the community? We are your masters. But if you tolerate that, maybe once in a while we'll throw up a new building here or a new bridge over there, some pavement down over there. So why don't we just continue along with this little arrangement because, as you already know, we are really awesome at violence. And if you don't agree, we can still just kill you. Remember like how we used to do. I know this all sounds sick, but these kinds of people are out there, libertarians. You're going to have to face that. You know what else? If they were really clever, they would scare the people into compliance. Not with their own violence all the time, but they could actually threaten the people with the violence of other gangs. They could say, hey, you know, yeah, we might be violent, but guess what? We're not the most violent gang out there. Couple towns away, there's an even more violent gang. And if we weren't here, they would come here and kill all of you. We're actually protecting you from them. So you're welcome. And once you bring the emotion of fear into it, it's over. People wouldn't be able to reason anymore. And this gang would now be there for good. Now at this point again, the libertarian chimes in and says, people are smarter than that. And sooner or later, somebody would stand up, if not many people, somebody would stand up and say, this is insulting. This is bribery. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be robbed in exchange for little petty favors that could probably just as easily, if we put some thought into it, be done by the community. And I don't want to accept all of this robbery and threats just because of some scare story about some other violent gang that could come here. There's a violent gang already here. And the people would agree, and there would be an uprising, and that would be the end of it, says the libertarian. But I got some bad news. These groups of predators, the existence of which has apparently never even occurred to the people who want to live in some kind of libertarian utopia, They've got one more trick up their sleeve in the worst case scenario, and this one is a doozy. Now for this last one, you'll have to bear with me because this sounds so ridiculous and far-fetched, I'm not even exactly sure how this would come to be. But imagine this. The thugs somehow convince the people to surrender control of the channels of information, communication, and education to the gang itself. Again, I don't, I don't know how that happens, but in the worst case scenario, you have to think that it could be possible. Maybe they go after the children. Yeah, they bribe parents. People are already used to bribes with free daycare. I know it doesn't sound like something that good people would allow to happen, but if enough time had passed, these people would have become pretty habituated to dependence on the gang. As daycare becomes more sophisticated and better funded, the children are forced to stay there longer and longer. They are fed a new language and subsequently a new way of thinking about the predators. Instead of describing the relationship accurately with words like theft and threats, they're given new words that distort reality. First couple generations, it might be tough, but after that, the kids would come home, they would complain, they would talk about how terrible it is, they would talk about how much it sucks, and the parents could just dismiss it by saying something like, hey, we all have to do it. And even though this worst case scenario, I admit is very far-fetched, the libertarians at this point would have to admit that within a generation or two, the violent predators would have no more significant problems managing their herds of peaceful and productive people. They might have to deal with the occasional rogue who questions their authority or their legitimacy, 
but probably not even directly after a while, the indoctrinated people would do that for them. They would say, without the violent gang, which, and it wouldn't be called that anymore, they would have thought of a new name for it, who would maintain order? Who would take care of the children? Who would protect us from violent people who want to do us harm? Who would keep our food supply safe? As my worst case scenario vision of this anarchistic world grows even darker, other groups of thugs recognize the success that this gang has had and they copy that model. It is replicated all over the world. Even as their control over the people stabilized, the gangs would still be plenty violent. They would fight with each other. Here's a really sad thing. Because of the messages that all the people were absorbing in daycare, they would actually cheer when the gang that preys on them slaughters a group of people that another gang preys on. It could get that bad. But if this got bad enough and continued long enough, the entire world would just become divided up into these gang territories. And that this most tragic ending, a good person, a hardworking and peaceful person who just wanted to live his or her life free of coercion, would realize that there is no place on earth that they could go. The end. Wait a minute. Oh, shit. Context with that and adding it in there. Samuel Adams, the chief conspirator of the American Revolution, said, It is oh, the greatest that. absurdity. YouTube jumped right into a, another show. <laughs> uh, I think people will recognize that. That's that's funny. Thanks for doing that, YouTube. Okay, so, a few things we need to cover here. Now, that clip was adding context to the libertarian argument and sort of the, adding, like I said, some rationality there from Brett uh, to be able to, I don't think he's like on, like I said, like I don't think so that he's like now a total statist, but he's just pointing out some of the flaws there with, uh, the philosophy of libertarianism and a lot of the edicts that go along with it and the sort of uh, chantings and p things that people just say, you know, in these movements that 
initially you can buy into and you become like Brett, like repeating it to everybody and start telling everybody all about the stuff that you're learning. And, um, but when after a while, after things kind of wear off, the romantic period of all this new philosophy wears off and you take a more objective view on it and start to see some of the holes and start to uncover some of that, it ends up like a lot of the problems being uh, right in your face and can't really be ignored. And some of the examples he provides there are pretty good, you know, with um, these certain scenarios in society that could come up. Um, the answers are, are really not in any of that, though, and that's what I'm taking away from that is that it's like not either side of that argument is kind of ridiculous. There's more to it than that. There's a certain learning curve and a, a responsibility towards freedom that has to be also worked on and not just, you know, coming up with the right chant and the right group and getting out there in the streets like the footage that he's showing and, and these ridiculous forms of anarchy that we see, uh, which are not that far off from the rest of the anarchist movements, you know, and uh, how, how baseless it really is and how it can be all those things because it means lawlessness in the, in the end, you know, uh, is what it actually means. Um, let's get back into a screen share again. I want to pull up some more material here. This is uh, Weird Seeds, Scenes Inside the Canyon from Dave McGowan. And it goes back to that first section we had talking about Timothy Leary and um, the CIA influence on the 60s and 70s revolution, weird scenes inside the canyon, uh, is kind of a surrounding Laurel Canyon, covert ops, and the dark heart of the hippie dream. I think this is one of the better books out there to become familiarized with this material. If you're not familiar with uh, some of the MKUltra aspects and just the strange connections that he goes into in this book, uh, you know, starting out with. Uh, each chapter is like a different story of like a different character that kind of and so in Jim Morrison's dad was a US Navy Admiral George Stephen Morrison and he was involved in the Gulf of Tonkin incident uh, let's we can max this up a little bit here um, and eventually I'm gonna have a document cam or like overlying cam and we'll share the books we'll share the sections right out of the book I have enough cameras to do it now. Uh, we just don't have the boomsticks and the arms to do it. And the ones that I'm looking at are a little bit more expensive, but I'll, I'll get there. We'll get there. We'll cross that bridge. Um, where did that section go that we were just reading? So, yeah. So, the whole Gulf of Tonkin incident led to uh, the beginning of the Vietnam War, right? And the one of the main military men that was around, uh, George Stephen Morrison, uh, was Jim Morrison's father. And there's that's like, okay, that's one weird thing that you're just cherry picking out right now. No, that's not at all. There's That's what this book is about, and that's why I'm bringing it up here, is that there's a lot of quote-unquote coincidences like that <laughs> that aren't coincidences at all, and you start to realize the influence that... Uh, the real countercultural movements <laughs> have uh, when it comes to taking over any kind of real revolution that might may or may not be happening. Uh, so, you know, I can go into more. There's, if anything, it, this book is not hard to get through. It's not, it's an easy read. 
and well it's not like source primary sources or something but there's a lot of things in here that you can follow up on and footnotes and uh if it's their first time hearing like that the cia is behind the grateful dead and the grateful dead is basically a cia cover band and the spreading of acid was done through these methods and that was all done by the intelligence agencies the explosion of the acid scene into america and that whole psychedelic revolution was was created and engineered you know and then driven home with the with the pharmacological influence of of acid and putting out music even and whole scenes that were just fake totally created um mk ultra these are aspects of mk ultra that are known um, but a lot of the aspects of mk ultra just focus on like the drug testing in universities and not the hollywood you know music influence done by the cia um on the society itself through means that people don't understand that's that's what the cia does that's what they're there to do is do do the real countercultural revolution to uh, revolutionize and radicalize Western society into this social justice warrior, you know, bring me my universal basic income, transgender, transhumanist 2.0, bestiality, you know, heading towards being okay with pedophilia and all the other ideolo ideological subversion that's gone on is done through methods like this, uh, like fronting uh, bands and men uh, in bands that were working right alongside with military and uh, intelligence apparatus. And that's not me reaching, that's not me looking for things that aren't there. Uh, that's well documented uh, at this point. Some of the other things that I would look into in regards to that, uh, of course you don't have to like the presenter of this information, but I think that everybody should be familiar with these things that I'm going to pull up next. which is Logos Media, oh great, uh, a link that I broke in my copy-paste of it probably. <laughs> That's okay, let's see here. Logos Media, how I should pull it up. Let's jump over here and go full. Here's one of the articles. So while we're at it, let's get... I should have had these open. I did have them open, but I was like shutting everything down too. I'm trying to monitor CPU with all this happening going on. Um, but this one, Manufacturing the Deadhead. Uh, and I don't really care what you think about Joe Atwell or Jan Irvin or Logos Media. There's still a lot of interesting and good material that's been put out through the work of Jan Urban that needs to be looked into, including, you know, MKUltra and the sub-projects that he's gone into exposing the Esalen Institute, connections to figures like Terrence McKenna, a very divisive topic in the quote-unquote woke community that we're not going to go into here. But uncovering what I'm talking about and providing the actual resources, reference, and source material on this and, and an ongoing work from this individual 
which can be found on his website. And I'm not, you know, I don't work with him. I'm not part of his organization or anything like that. I just think, and I have a lot of disagreements myself with that. But this article, <laughs> I mean, look at, I've, look how long I've been scrolling and I'm like an eighth of the way through it. Now, a lot of that could be comments at the bottom, which is probably what it is. <laughs> okay, yeah, a lot of that's just comments, but very valuable. I'm going to have this in my brain model if I don't already. Let's see. I have the weird scenes. I have the whole playlist. Okay, I don't have it plugged in yet. See, so there you go. So there's some work I have to do after the show. I don't have it plugged in here. It might be in here somewhere. Um, so I'll add that in there. And then uh, this article, go through it, index it, document it, keep it handy, and read through and try to understand what's being said here about Gordon Wasson, you know, and the sacred mushroom and the cross and the whole fomenting of this story or this this faking of this kind of like mushroom psychedelic revolution really did kind of center around the Gordon Wasson and the, the interesting touch points and of, of uh oh he look at Jan even uh mentions Dave McGowan's research here um so there's some kind of feedback on that now this is post show I'm not trying to go in depth into this material I'm just kind of filling the air gaps with uh, the context of things that can be looked into when it comes to CIA, military uh, apparatus, uh, subverting, getting into movements and actually driving them off the rails or uh, culturally creating the next kind of movement. And um, definitely, you know, if for whatever reason, and we can definitely go into the reasons later, this, this goes on. And the modern movements and people in the modern, you know, s socialist or communist or anarchist or libertarian or voluntarist movements need to be aware of this stuff. And they need to look deeply into these issues and understand that nothing's changed, that these old tricks are still being used. And we can we can definitely link back all these modern movements to things that are not going to get us what I think most of us really say that we actually want. And we have to be a little bit less naive about things and as we're moving forward we're going to try to display that here on this show how to do that not just talking shit not just trying to infight but providing a better example of how people can move forward through the problematic things that we've uncovering and kind of how to get past that and onto the to the next level of hopefully with a journey not camping halfway up the mountain uh, falling into the movement traps right which is always going to be a problem for everybody moving towards more freedom. There's a lot of pitfalls out there, and that's what we're trying to uncover in this show. And we, we're going to have to talk more about anarcho-capitalism and anarchists and voluntarists and why libertarianism is so dangerous. And it's not just, again, infighting and me trying to start arguments with the vegans or something, like talking about the non-aggression principle. I think there are conversations around veganism and health that should be had. I don't think it's the time and place here on my show to do it now. And uh, I think that there's people out there that that's all they want to talk about. And they're somewhat in of a, a vegan movement trap themselves. And we didn't really discuss that here today. Um, but a lot of it does tie into the Agenda 21, Agenda 30, United Nations, UNESCO, uh, World Wildlife Fund, you know, green, greening of the nation, greening of the planet. 
uh, agenda that again not all those things are bad to want clean air to want clean water to want clean food to want us to help the planet thrive if we can like if we're that presumptuous to think that we can do that um, of course I want to work towards those things too but we have to understand the historical context of these movements these these agendas these thought patterns these uh, messages that come out of these institutions think tanks and what their real agenda is behind the mask behind the green mask as uh, Ro Rosa Corey her book would say right which is a great book that I guess I'll have to put that in the resources too when I come across this and uh, I'll put that site that I shared out earlier in the in the resources as well with all those quotes you know that we do, I should do more due diligence on those quotes probably and I'll you know retract anything that was incorrect but I at that green agenda site I think I have been there before and I understand the people that that uh, run this site are pretty uh, good in their research and so you know, but anything I say on the show or anything that I bring on the show is always question is always, yeah, I'm leaving it open to be questioned and I'm putting myself out there in a way that I can be challenged and I'm not perfect. And, uh, all I'm doing is relaying what I feel like is good sound evidence and logical and not even just logical, but you know, my, my, the way that I see the world through my perspective and the and I'm sharing it in a way that I feel is productive and valuable that actually will end up helping others along the same path, um, which my life has gotten much better and uh, more positive since scraping off all these movements and just realizing that I just am and I just am a human being just being me, an individual, and there's no label, group, or movement that's necessary for me to work through that and to, to build a better life for myself and others and keep striving to continually improve myself doesn't require a movement and an ism and uh, to put some label on it. There, there's no requirement of nature to do that. And we just are of nature. And we're part of the all and everything around us. And there's no, again, label that's over that. You're just of uh, everything. You're part of the universe. And that's another word for God. And so again, to take the atheistic, scientific, materialistic stance on this is a self-refuting thing that's just completely ridiculous. And it's the same with, um, you know, it's the same with something like materialism or nihilism is um, refuting itself in very simple arguments that not everything is logical. But if we can, if we can refute something with logic then it's a lot less likely that we need to, you know, further pontificate and go further down trying to break something apart if it's, like, not upfront very logical. Like, you know, I understand that logic is not everything in the end-all, be-all of discovering and philosophy and truth. There's more to it than that. There is an, an intuition. Um, there is a connection that's beyond you to information that's outside of us that we can be molded by influences that are not just ideas and thoughts in our head that are logic and reason and you know part of it like a Jungian way of looking at the unconscious is not something that's not there and that you don't feel the unconscious in the Jungian context is that your mind the higher self the imperial self the the genetic uh, memory race memory working through uh, things that you may not fully understand the unconscious you know part of yourself that you're not fully in tune with but it is influencing you through dream symbology and archetypal images right that's the very 
Oh, I was just about to do the Jordan Peterson thing, but then I remembered I promised I wasn't going to do it in this episode. So, I, again, self-control. Because <laughs> it's very easy to pull that one out, right? So, I'm not a Jungian, though. I don't call it the unconscious. I'm just using Jungian language, right? I think his work is very valuable, and I have the archetypes and symbology especially, and then taking that again and you know, to bring Peterson into this, his series on the Bible, I think that's a definitely a more accurate way to look at the Bible and read through the Bible the way that he is doing through looking at it through allegory. It's much more beneficial than trying to say that it's literal and then trying to work that all out, that it, how literal every interpretation should be taken, or saying that it's all just total fiction and should just be thrown out because look how ridiculous it is. Like, no, there's definitely valuable things that can be gained through looking at the work through uh, something that's been anthropomorphizing God into man-like characters and ma characters that are human and giving them human aspects like virgin or the only child of God and all these things. It's all allegory for natural law and the universe and just how nature works. So, um, you know, I didn't have planned too much to go into like atheism and materialism but as I created this episode it was like it goes right along with the secondary matrix and I would say that those people are like the bottom worst pieces of shit in the secondary matrix like they're not even fully in the secondary matrix they're like halfway you know wanting back in or something like having some other ridiculous childish worldview that doesn't have it's not holistic and doesn't encompass everything and it's self-refuting, and so it's like ridiculous to even have conversations with people like that, you know. So, just sort of sharing an outline here. Uh, next week, or if I can get it out next week, it may be two weeks. I'm having a suspicion that it might be two weeks from now. We're going to be doing groupthink and herd mentality, and we're just going to focus a whole episode on that. I don't think it'll be as long as as extended as the secondary matrix. I think a lot. I tried to pack a lot in this, and I actually had to keep refraining from adding more in. So it might have seemed like I'd packed too much into this episode, but you should see the cutting room floor. <laughs> you should you should see what I didn't put in this episode that I wanted to. And here we are at like three three and a half hours almost, and I could still pull more into this. Um, so here we'll try to wind it down. I appreciate anyone's time and attention that watches this uh, now or later in the future. And, uh, you know, feel free to email me at tyler at tylerbloyer.com. That's probably the best way to get me to respond um, if you have any questions after the show, if you didn't get to watch it live. Uh, after that, after the group think stuff, and this is all falling into the movement traps, the series, we're going to do some social engineering and uh, the names of this stuff might change. I may change the, the way that I label how I'll go into this, but this is the basic outline. Um, and then we're going to go into that, like the sorcerer behind the scene, like a globalist kind of quotes and references and stuff uh, episode, the, how the globalists see it, how the Huxleys put it, how, how did the Carol Quigleys relay this information to us, how did uh, Bertrand Russell look at humanity, how did the Fabian Socialist really see the world population and we'll do a whole episode on that and probably mix in like the education system obviously would be something you'd have to cover in that sort of an episode and uh, just uh, the whole social engineering aspect of things so that'll be a good episode and uh, 
then I, I want to discuss, I have dialectics mentioned here. I don't know if I'll be able to devote a whole episode to dialectics and talking about um, uh, like Hegelianism, right? Or <laughs> trying to trying to rectify some of what's misunderstood about the Hegelian dialectic, which I'd hate to even say the phrase here because it's not the Hegelian dialectic, you know what I mean? Um, dialectics is much outside of Hegel, and that's another thing you'll see in, these, in the secondary matrix is people constantly repeating things that are not accurate or even the case because it's said over and over, like the Hegelian dialectic, right? And other things like that, like nonviolent communication, just these other like propaganda words that they're not critically questioning and balancing and, you know, weighing in their minds. They just they just say the same thing all the other people in the movement say without really questioning. And the Hegelian dialectic is like a perfect example of that problem. <laughs> um, and then uh, there's an episode kind of like on the enslaved again. You can't have freedom in a state of slavery. That's the outline. I don't know how that's exactly going to unfold. And then finally we go into an episode dedicated to picking apart libertarianism, an episode dedicated to picking apart voluntarism, which we've already done, the voluntary slaves, but we're going to highlight that and we're going to really get into the bullshit of voluntarism in that episode because we've only just brushed the surface with the stuff I've already put out as kind of like appetizers to getting people ready for two, three, four months down the road when we go back to libertarianism, voluntarism, and then a whole episode on anarchism. And uh, we've definitely brought out some of this stuff already, but that's why we're dedicating whole episodes in this series to those topics specifically, because they need that treatment. I don't, I don't see anyone else besides like Brett in that video. I've not seen like a ton, and like Jay Dyer's done some really good work um, picking apart libertarian philosophy, but you know I'm gonna do my flavor of that, and and uh, we'll do it in a way that nobody else has done it before. That's for sure. And then we'll go into sort of like a summary. Maybe maybe at that point there'll be more question and answer sessions we can do. Maybe at that point we'll have people actually joining in on the Discord, and uh, we can do kind of a whole live show of just bringing questions and answers. I'll bring questions that have been brought on social media threads or email or in real life. If if we have to fill it with just me talking again, we'll do that. But I'd like at that point to have, you know, some commentary from feedback from people on what they think of the series thus far, once we're that deep into it. And then we'll do a conclusion solutions slash uh, wrapping up of the series, which who knows how long this will go. I think it's uh, going fantastic so far. Uh, according to my high standards, my super high, extremely high standards of production quality. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding because... Um, this is just loose, man. I mean, this is, I think it's a lot of fun. I think this is a good example of how people can do what I'm doing and within one week what you can prepare to do and manage, you know, to per, um, provide income and pay all the bills and um, help my wife with the homeschooling and spend time with my family and take care of my body and exercise and go on morning walks and you know, work, work and provide an income, work full time and do this in my spare time to be able to do this on a weekly basis so far. And like I said, I probably won't stick with that. Things in life are going to change. I'm already going to add some complexity into things um, that I'm already doing that are going to start to take a lot more time, including starting um, some more entrepreneurship tasks and um, 
reinventing myself in the world that I'm in already to, to make my Federal Reserve notes, you know, uh, in ways that I don't exactly know how it's all going to go. So for me to be able to say that I can dedicate to keep coming back every week and doing this, like, I'm not going to do that. And I'm, I may at some point mix it up completely and have things get different and have interviews that are randomly on Tuesday afternoons. So the Sunday morning thing has been more just like getting the wheels turning on this thing. Um, but the way that I am is I don't have strict schedules like that that go long periods of time. They're short periods of time to get things going usually, and then I loosen up and other things need to come in and flush out old bad habits and all this stuff, right? So growth, continuous growth doesn't always mean that you're going to finish the project exactly how you thought, or sometimes the projects never end, and that's how this project of TylerBoyer.com is, is, is open-ended. There's not an end after falling into the movement traps, there's going to be, we're going to go into the creature of control after that by default, if nothing else comes up. Um, that's going to be a several month series of information that I need to put out. I have a lot of ammo loaded that hasn't been put out yet, you know, and that's, it's hard to funnel that into a stream that can start putting it out. And that's what this has been. And, and I'm glad that I've made it this far because now I have a, a way to turn that funnel on a little higher and start to crank out the information over the last 10 years that I've accumulated in a, in a way that I think is going to be meaningful and a way that I can archive and market myself for speaking events and meeting more cool people and traveling around and kind of creating the lifestyle through this. So it's not just me wasting my time. I don't see that this is a waste of time for me and I hope other people can find value in it too. And I think time will tell how that goes and if other people just hate this work and they don't value it at all and I'm just kicked into the dirt then I may take feedback that I may be doing something incorrect but I, I probably am not going to massively change my style the way that I talk the way that I present things the, the way that I make slides the, the setup that I have the way that I like to do things isn't going to be massively overhauled because of the feedback that I get from this secondary matrix crowd as you can see I don't think highly of the people out there with me in the secondary matrix. I'm not all buddy-buddy with all the voluntarists and meeting up with all the other people that think that Bitcoin and that libertarianism and voting for Adam Kokesh and, and doing all these other things is going to fix the problem. That's not me. I'm not trying to be, but I, I'm actually very critical and critiquing all those people with this episode if that wasn't clear. So... I don't really give a shit how I'm received by anybody in the secondary matrix because I know that it's 99% fake. And that's what we're revealing here is the fakeness and inauthenticity of the people in the secondary matrix. So y'all need to look in the mirror more than the people in the primary matrix because you also have major issues with the things that you like to accuse others of constantly. And uh, we all need to work and grow through this period of our lives where we're falling into the movement traps, okay? So I think that's a great place to leave it for today. Um, some of the links that are going to be shared, again, are Dave McGowan's book, uh, Timothy Leary, that clip. I'll share that. I'll share all the video clips um, today, the Manufacturing of the Deadhead article from Jan Irvin, Anthony Sutton in the Brain, as well as his books, Archived in the Brain, Wall Street and the Rise of Hitler, Wall Street and the Rise of the Bolshevik. Here, we'll go to a... We'll go to a better end webcam here. The straight-on view. It, I'm wearing a jacket because this morning it was raining and pouring here and it was cold. 
now I feel like I've been like working out on this podcast because it has has been a workout to to go this long. I would say this is the longest live stream of any podcast that I've done live. I've done longer podcasts than this. The Creature of Control, I did like five and a half hour podcasts. But most of that was just like video clips chunked together. So this is my biggest marathon. And to be honest with you, it feels good to, to have made it this far and know that I'm pacing myself to work like I said, to work towards my greatest production that I can put together, which is not, which is yet to be produced. Um, and some of the other works in the resources that you'll be able to find when this gets posted, you know, Monday, Tuesday-ish, um, the interview with the best money, the best enemies money can buy with Anthony Sutton, the whole interview is a good one to watch. Um, Club of Rome in the brain, eugenics in the brain, the brain model, and... Uh, again, you can download the audio and the slides from the website. I am going to wrap up today's show. I'm going to go spend time, go hunt down my family and see where they're at. <laughs> After I take the dog on a walk, he's been looking at me like, why are you taking me? Like, I got to make slides, bro. These slides don't make themselves. So I got to get out, get some exercise, you know, even if it's raining outside. I love the rain. And, uh, then I have to get back at it tomorrow. So like I said, the next show I'm feeling like is going to be in two weeks. But we'll see. We'll see what happens next weekend. We'll see what happens from now to then. It's a crazy world. It's an exciting time to be alive. I'm happy to be here with you all. I appreciate you for watching. I appreciate your time and attention. And look forward to doing this again sometime. Have a good one.